Hey, this is Todd Dammit Kearns from Slash featuring Miles Kane and the Conspirators, Bruce Kulick, and so much more. And you are listening to the hottest podcast in the land, Shout It Out Loud cast with Tom and Zeus. Things changed in 1971 with Led Zeppelin releasing their mammoth fourth album, the untitled album, only graced by symbols of the band's individual members. It shot them in a trajectory not seen before with songs that have become memorable to rock and roll lore and history. The Led Zeppelin Chronicles, once again, breaks down Led Zeppelin and the iconic album, Led Zeppelin IV. Hello, guys. Nice to see everyone after this little uh, sabbatical. Looking forward to doing this album. Been waiting a long time. As uh, mentioned in previous episodes, this is uh, the album that helped me discover the band Led Zeppelin. And looking forward to going into great detail about uh, an album that I think we all have a deep uh, connection with. So looking forward to this. Welcome back. Yeah, it's only been seven months, so we're back. And uh, what, what we, I think everybody was a little bit maybe not scared of Led Zeppelin for, but you know, like Zeus and I was saying before we started recording, I don't think there's ever going to be a bigger album that we touch than this one. So a lot of information, a lot of feelings, a lot of nostalgia. So uh, it should be good, right, Zeus? Oh yeah. So in if you are a hard rock or rock and roll even metal put that category i can't think of a bigger album than zeppelin four this is the album so we're gonna have some fun with this but this isn't a documentary we're gonna talk about the album we're gonna give you guys some uh our thoughts on the songs the music the uh the lore the album cover and all that stuff but we're not breaking this down into a 20 20 episode documentary although it can be done on this album specifically yeah Uh, but let's get into some fun because uh this is uh zeppelin four and it's got to be treated uh uh with the proper respect but before we do zeppelin four we got to wrap up zeppelin three and our feedback uh zeppelin three we did and uh we did a poll as we usually do with favorite four songs tom how'd that go Yep, so uh, we did the poll, and the four options that made our poll were Tangerine, Since I've Been Loving You, Celebration Day, and Out on the Tiles. And I was a little bit surprised by this. Not that I don't absolutely love the song, and it's one of my favorites, but Since I've Been Loving You ran away with the poll with 47%. Uh, Tangerine at 23%, Out on the Tiles at 20 Celebration Day at 10 uh, some comments here. James Six Star says, I got into Zeppelin late in my listening years, always aware of them, and of course, Stairway in my teens, but not till my 30s did I really start listening, mainly because Paul Stanley always mentioned them. I put Zepp as one of my favorites now. Richie Rich says, Out on the Tiles, but if I'm able to pick from their live, the song remains the same album, it would be Since I've Been Loving You in a Slam Dunk. Celebration Day really comes alive on that album also. Yeah, that, that is a killer live album. Um, and then let's get into just a couple of 
episode specific comments here. Ryan Frazier put a gift together of Michael Scott in the office when he's running out of the building saying, oh, my God, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Uh, you're gonna, you can use that again right now. Um, our buddy Nige. Fantastic episode as always. This is probably my favorite Zeppelin album. Since I've been loving you, that's the way Tangerine and Out on the Tiles are all in my top 10. Also, check out John Paul Jones' baseline in the choruses of Immigrant Song. Insane. Yes, very true. Uncle Paulie commented here. It was so long ago when they did this album, I can't remember. He put it in quotes. So who I don't know who said this, but somebody in the episode said, quote, he sucks and so does his stupid mustache. <laughs> who said that? <laughs> I think that one might have, might have been me. Maybe did we talk about common IPs? I don't know. It has to be a comment, <laughs> like comment. I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, that that's what we got for uh, for some Twitter feedback. You know, it's interesting. I've been watching uh, reaction videos lately. I got in this thing on YouTube watching people react to songs for the first oh, yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I've been watching, or was probably for like a whole week, I was watching all these reaction videos on since I've been loving you mm. live. At Madison Square Garden in '73, it was from the song remains the same uh, yeah. movie and album. And I have to tell you, one of the most enjoyable things is watching women watch Robert Plant sing "Since I've Been Loving You" live and having an orgasm quietly while they're watching. <laughs> Jay, don't lie. That was you. <laughs> it was me, but no. But it's so. It's, I'll send you guys some links when we're done, and just you tell me the timestamp of when <laughs> they're going in a different direction and what they're feeling. Because his voice in that live version is so powerful yeah. and sexy. Like I forget who's the, who said it years ago. If sex had a voice, it would sound like Robert Plant. Oh, totally. Of course, especially in a song like that. Yeah. Zeus, what do you got on Facebook? All right, our buddy Aaron Martell. Yeah, fantastic episode, fellas. Zeus, your enthusiasm and passion for this album fired me up so much. I just need to go listen to it, like, right now. And I'm totally with you on Bronyar Stomp. Just listen to Paige's guitar on the break before the final verse. He gets so intense. It sounds like he's going to completely lose it. Then suddenly he pulls you right back into the main lick. Amazing. Kudos all around. But yeah, Zeus. Uh, nice. Scott Wheeler says, I could listen to you guys talk about Zeppelin all day. Wait, I just did. Love the three-hour episodes. Looking forward to Zeppelin 4. Uh, that was like 20 weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lemmy Blackmore. Love the episode, gents. We're all happy to see Zepp Chronicles back. I'm with you. Replace hats off with Hey, Hey, What Can you I Do? And you have close to a perfect album. I'd yep. love to hear a detailed review of that track, perhaps the ultimate cock anthem, so you would have fun breaking down the lyrics in Plant's Delivery. Looking forward to the next one. I hope you continue with the official live releases. Not Led Zeppelin, but I'd love to hear you weigh in on the incredible Jimmy Page and Black Rose Live at the Greek. Shame Jimmy's bad back kept him from rolling on longer as they were great together. Oh, that, al that live album is insane. Oh, it's so good. Over on our YouTube page, Johnny B. Good writes, That's the Way is truly a page and plant masterpiece. It's my favorite track on the album. Guitar work is phenomenal, and plant's vocals are some of his best here. Uh, metal Core, Gallows Pole, Out of the Tiles, That's the Way. Led Zeppelin rocks this great album. Another, 
Charles Bronson, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? Belongs on this album. Hats off to Roy Hopper. It does not. And that's our feedback, guys. So let's get into the album. Jay, you want to talk about uh, your first experiences with uh, Zeppelin Four? Yeah. You know, when I think of Led Zeppelin, I'm such a huge fan now. And I always mention my cousin from California bringing that duffel bag of bootlegs on a trip <laughs> when I was going into my junior year of high school. But before that, I always knew what's up, and I really wasn't crazy about them because what was going on with music at that time with the MTV generation and 80s rock and 80s glam rock, and it just didn't really fit into what I was listening to. Although there were some songs that I didn't know and I didn't enjoy, I'd have to say the first experience or first introduction to Zeppelin is I remember driving around with my parents as they listened to classic rock and their Buick uh, as I sat in the back seat, was Black Dog. And Black Dog was really the first song that I recognized as Zeppelin. And back then, you know, the whole catalog has kind of shifted as we've moved on um, through the years. You know, songs like When the Levee Breaks was considered a deep, deep cut back then. Now it's not. Now it's not. Now it's one of their most essential songs and one of the most popular songs. But when you think of that time frame of the early 80s, mid 80s, it was Black Dog. It was Whole Lot of Love. It was Cashmere. It was, you know, the the songs that they were known for. Stairway to Heaven, obviously. How can I even, you know, forget that? But Black Dog was really the one that was like, oh, who's this? This is really interesting because of the way the vocals laid over the guitar and the way the drums played over the guitar. It was just very different with the, with the time signature of what was going on because it almost felt like plant page and bonham were playing three different songs at once which was really kind of interesting and cool but yeah that was that was a, definitely my first introduction to to zeppelin i think fauna on my side uh we've talked about it in the previous episodes how i discovered zeppelin at a junior high dance you would end the uh in the 80s the dance would end with this seven minute 55 second song that uh, folks were gravitating to the one that they wanted to have those final few moments with that night. And that allowed me to go find the album. And, you know, I always think back, I was 14 when I stumbled upon it. And I, I think back to growing up where, you know, next to my bed, I had a Walkman and I had five cassettes that I just played continuously through 87 88 and i don't know why i didn't mix it up but i'll always remember it It was uh aerosmith's debut album it was farner four uh i'm a big youtube fan so i had joshua's tree and their live show at red rocks and, and zeppelin four and this was an album that going get into bed just pop it in start with black dog play it all the way through flip it over play the other side and dozens of times just playing it with the headphones on so you know even though i didn't really have a deep uh understanding of music i, I don't play an instrument there are just things that just jumped out on this album that you know connected in a way that you know, this was this was something special when you're listening to it even in the moment and you just you know even though you, i don't go to it all the time getting ready for this episode, I forgot how important this was to me at that particular time. And then eventually led me down the, uh, the rabbit hole a few years later to all their other stuff. Yeah. Murph and I kind of similar story. Again, we went to grade school. So the funny thing about playing stairway to heaven at a dance is 
what the hell are you supposed to do with your partner when the guitar solo kicks in? You know, you, you're still sitting there going like holding on to your, uh, your girl. And it's like, uh, what do we, do we still go this slow right now? What do we do? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I remember at our, at our intro episode to Zeppelin Chronicles talking about how you got into Zeppelin. And I remember, I mean, I remember the moment when I got into kiss and we talked about this a lot, you know, when I was five, but, I feel like Zeppelin has just been one of those things. It's just like part of like our, like, I'm sure we have a similar feeling, but it's like, it's just part of like your fiber. Like you, like, I don't remember not having Zeppelin part of me, whether you're listening to it, thinking about it, reading about it, feeling it, learning about it. It's just, it, it's a band unlike no other, which is exactly why we are doing a dedicated sidecast to the band. But yeah, Zeppelin four, I remember having the cassette. And at the time, I, I didn't know, obviously, I didn't know anything about the band. I mean, I had the cassette, you know, when I was younger. I, I talk about my sister, four years older than me. We got into a lot of the same music and playing Zeppelin for the cassette, just nonstop. I traveled a lot growing up. I had a lot of family that lived up in Maine. So we were in the car driving a lot. And it was always Walkman. And it was always Zeppelin 4 was always with me. And preparing for this episode, you know, obviously, research and notes. This is one album where I almost didn't even need to write down notes for all eight of the songs because i i i, I could i could play them in my head I, I mean i could tell you you know the solo of when the levy breaks so like it's it you just you know it and i think that's the magic of, of a band like zeppelin magic no pun intended i just think that if 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 you get it you get it and i think that's why this band is just we, we always joke with some of our friends who like aren't into zeppelin I don't get it. I don't understand how you can't like this band. You don't have to be obsessed with Zeppelin, but I don't understand how you can't like be into them. And for us, I mean, I see behind Zeus, the stack of books. I have the same thing. It's just you, for me, you constantly want to just consume this band. And um, yeah, Zeppelin four is, is pretty much where it all starts for us. Yep. Murph holding up his, uh, the, the 10 commandments tablet of that giant Zeppelin book we have, but uh, yeah, Zeus. So Zeppelin four, uh, I'm like you, Tom. You know, I think part of the reason why this took seven months to get to, it's just the the daunting task that you have in front of you. Yep. Yeah, let's review Zepp. It's almost like I'm not worthy to talk about this. Like, I, where, where do I begin? Where do I? I have zero notes. I didn't take any because I'd be writing all fucking day. I know these songs maybe better than any album I've ever owned. I know everything it's about it. I, I can nom it. I, I know everything. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. I like that part in Stairway <laughs> to Heaven. True. Like, so I, I can talk about these songs without writing down all the n- crazy notes. And again, we're trying to talk about these, uh, review this album. We're not doing a documentary. So I didn't need to put every 50,000 things that you can find about Zeppelin 4. But I can tell you this. So when I was a, the Kiss fan, I got back into Kiss and I really started getting into music on my own outside of my brother's scope, buying cassettes for the first time and stuff. And I was into Hear Met. I liked Bon Jovi. I loved my Kiss. Uh, I had other stuff. Zeppelin was always the band that everyone would always talk. So I remember Zeppelin from a little kid. Zeppelin, Zeppelin, Zeppelin. And, uh, and, and if you know me, Tom, you know that I always have to have these like annoying bands that I like, I don't want to like, like I told you, like Metallica, I don't want to like them, but they're so popular. And they're so in your round and so in your face 
that you have to listen to their music. And then you reluctantly like them. You're like, fuck, I do like them. The same was with Zeppelin way back when. And so when I first started, I'm like, well, I'm going to learn this shit. Well, what's the easiest one to learn? Zeppelin 4, right? You already know three of the songs automatically. Everybody knows the three songs. Rock and Roll, Black Dime, uh, Black Dog, and Stay Over to Heaven. So I started with that. I had my cassette that I bought in Greece. And as they do with a lot of European Zeppelin stuff, the tracks, some tracks are reversed. So Four Sticks is song number three. And Battle of Evermore replaces it on, on the second side. So I, I I listened to this. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, this Misty Mountain Hop thing is din, 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 din. Like, that's pretty cool. Oh, shit. This levee breaks. What the fuck? I feel like I'm in an earthquake. What is this music? And then you pick up on everything else. And then you start exploring the rest of the Zeppelin albums. Like, these guys had it right. Whoever was talking to Zeppelin, this is something completely different than every other band that's out there that existed in hard rock genre type of music. What's that part in um in uh Fast Time at Ridgemont High? What do they talk about? Oh, they screw it up. We say always play the side two of Zeppelin four and it cuts to the scene. He's listening to Cashmere. I played Zeppelin four side two the first time I had sex. Now, did you play the real side two, or did you do it fucking side two? I put it on the tape deck. I was in my basement, you know, the Winter Street prop house. Yep. I was in the summer of going into my freshman year, and there was this girl that I heard she was slutty. Oh, here we go. So I bring her to my house just as I finish. Literally, <laughs> I hear John. Fifteen seconds. Pick her up, grab her stuff, fucking have her exit out of the back door from the basement and didn't get caught. And this all was in before the second verse kicked in and Misty Mountain Pop. It was that quick. <laughs> oh, I was, dude, I, I love to tell people this story in the Put sense it this that, way. The vocals didn't begin in Stairway to Heaven yet by the time he was done. As typical guy of that time frame in that point in your life, at no point, no point in my head was it ever a thought of is she enjoying this it was holy shit i can't believe holy shit i can't believe i'm having sex it, holy shit the, i can't believe it, i just had sex is this the zeus chronicles <laughs> or the zeppelin like chronicles? seven seconds <laughs> i feel a lot closer to zeus than i ever have before right oh, now unbelievable God. welcome and new I, listeners yeah <laughs> and i got to listen to it all with zeppelin four so it has a little special place although i'm embarrassed like oh my god what was i thinking but Zeppelin four has a musically uh, life altering uh, impact on my life. And it's, it's remained there. Do you guys think that because of our love for this album and because of how many times we've played it over the years, that it's affected how we view it? Cause yes, when, cause when I go, absolutely. Back, yeah. Cause when I go back and like, look, listen to this album, it's been a long time since I listened to this album all the way through. Where I've listened to Physical Graffiti, I listened to Houses of the Holy, Led Zeppelin Two, Led Zeppelin Three. You know, I listen to those albums more frequently because I already understand and know the greatness of Led Zeppelin Four. And then when I'm re-listening this for this episode, I'm like, 
yeah, this album was fucking great. You know, like this is incredible. Like, and I think we forget about that because we kind of take it for granted because of all the times we listen to it and how much enjoyment, whether it's Zeus losing his virginity to it or, or whatever our, you know, whatever memories we have with the album, you know, it just seems like it's just, and it's kind of like, and we'll talk about Stairway to Heaven eventually. It's almost like Stairway to Heaven is that song that we take for granted too, because of how great it is. We just kind of skip over it because we've heard it so many times. Yeah, I, th- well, I think that I think we Zeus and I we talk about this a lot, and, and it's that fatigue factor. And you have to be careful when you're reviewing an album. And I and, and I, we'll we'll get into it obviously as we get into the the track by track and final thoughts. But you have to. It's difficult to put fatigue to the side at times and, and put on a different a different mindset and say, okay, I know I've heard this song this album since I was friggin' eight years old, but I, I want to listen to this differently. Can I do that? Can I listen to this without being like, yeah, okay, I know this. Oh yeah, rock and roll. I know how that goes. And it wasn't that easy for me to do. I mean, I'll get into it a little bit more, but the, the fatigue factor is, but again, we always say fatigue factor exists because when something is that good, you listen to it that much. And so does everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. The thing is, I think we penalize Zeppelin four because of it. Yes. So, agreed. and it's almost when we start thinking greatest songs, greatest albums, greatest stuff, greatest impact in your life. You're like, yeah, yeah, we all know Zeppelin four. Yeah, 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 Zeppelin four. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's so as though you when you're even talking about Zeppelin, and it's not cool to say Zeppelin four is the best album. It's not cool to say Stairway to Heaven's the best album, the song they've ever done. You got to pick something else because uh, you're just a a sheep if you pick that. Well, without giving a reason it, without, why everybody picks them. <laughs> yeah, without without giving anything away on a future episode that hasn't dropped yet. Zeus and I did a, a a dorm damage episode about music, and I won't give anything away. But Zeppelin may or may not have been involved in this certain things, like you said. It's like well, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to put Zeppelin. Everybody knows Zeppelin, so I'm going to keep them off the list. And and then you think about it, like, well, that makes no sense. If they're that good, why aren't they on your list? And I'm guilty of that too. I do that all the time. Like Zeus yeah. just said, it's like it's like I don't need to put Zeppelin on this list of best whatever because everybody knows that that they're the best whatever. You know. So when you have a conversation with somebody you just meet about Zeppelin Four, like Zeppelin, you try to stay away from Zeppelin Four because it's cliche like, oh, almost Zeppelin. now. Yeah. And if they say Zeppelin Four is my favorite album, you're like, oh, oh, let me guess. You like Black Dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're almost penalizing the person for saying something about it's, this incredible album. It's actually the same thing in Kiss World when people say, I oh, destroy is my favorite album. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. I like I like Detroit Rock City. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you right. think like they've never heard in any other song. That's right. Your mind goes to it because it is just so accessible, though this album and these songs. But before we get to those, let's talk about uh, the album cover. Jay, why don't you lead us off? This was the most interesting thing about this album when I first picked it up. Because here's this band that had been growing and growing um, in popularity prior to Led Zeppelin IV. Like I said in the beginning, Zeppelin IV set them on a path that few bands have ever seen. But to have the balls to release an album without their name on it, without a title of the album, with just this picture of this man in, in a field with, with straw and, and, and all this stuff. And, and you have four symbols, right, that no one knows what the hell they are. 
and people got to figure out. And again, I think that's what adds to the lore and mystique and mystery of Zeppelin. And they do it so well and they continue to do it so well. They, they provide you with mystery that they're able to tap into something in your mind that makes you curious, makes you want more, makes you want to find out why they're doing what they're doing. And I think, to be honest with you, obviously the music is so important as to why they are who they are and why we think of Zeppelin as the greatest band of all time. But I also think we can't dismiss the the mystery of the band that helps propel that and keeps that going. Jesus, how many decades later, right? I mean, they don't, they don't release things every year or every six months. They're not in your face on social media. They're not doing a lot of different interviews. They're all doing different things. But when Zeppelin releases a picture book or a box set or an anniversary edition, like people go out in droves and buy it because they have that ability to stop time and they have that ability to make you want it. And I think this is kind of the beginning of that when they finally figured it out, like how to keep their audience captivated. And it's with this album and the album cover and the four symbols that became synonymous with who they were. I mean, it's in everything after this, right? It's in, it's in, it's our remains the same. They had each, each member had their own little bit in the movie and it kind of had the, and they kind of wrapped it around the symbols that were first, you know, seen on this album. So it's an odd cover, um, but again, it's interesting. It's different when you think of all what all the bands were doing at that time. Zeppelin always walked to a different beat, and I think that helped them create this masterful mystery mystique about them that no band has been able to touch ever. I was having this conversation with someone uh, a couple weeks ago about Zeppelin because. Who would have thought when they finished in 1979 that they would be more popular today than they were during their prime, during their peak, when they were actually making music? And it's part of the fact that they don't give us a lot. They give us what we need when we need it, not just to give us stuff and be oversaturated in excess with it. And when they when they put this album out, I always love it when you see their discography or when we used to see that back in the day or when people would talk about Zeppelin albums, it would be called Untitled, hmm. not Led Zeppelin 4. It would be Led Zeppelin Untitled, which to me just blows my mind that a band would be have the balls and guts to do that. Um, the album cover makes you stare at it to try to figure out what the fuck this is. Um, it's so it's so powerful. It really is. Out of all the albums that they had before, you could say Led Zeppelin one with the iconic picture uh, on the cover, you know, the brown bomber with, with Zeppelin two and, you know, the kind of carnival thing on Led Zeppelin three. This album, you can stare at it for hours and still not figure it out, which is which is so interesting in itself. Yeah. And I, I think what uh, is interesting is that the whole idea behind it was kind of a F you to. The, the album, you know, I, I think it was a combination of, of Jimmy and, and Peter Grant. But 1987, when I go to buy the album, you know, you're not looking for Led Zeppelin or you're just looking for that picture and, and you know it. And they knew at the time that their fans were going to buy that album. They were going to find a way to get it. But 
it is interesting how if you were to show that picture to random people, like they're going to say, oh, that's the album cover to Led Zeppelin 4. And it's one of the most recognizable album covers in, in history. And it was all done with the intent of, yeah, yeah, just kind of making a dig to the, uh, to the, the company. Um, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I would go down the, the, to the depths of, you know, you could spend hours looking at it. It's just, I'm actually surprised that in this time, you know, 2023 with, you know, podcasts and documentaries, like, Who's that painting of? Is was that a real person? Is it a painting or was it a picture? And that's actually one of the the mysteries that that I have is that you know, that wasn't the intent, but you still have questions and you know in awe of this album uh, fifty two years later. Yeah, Murph, you touched on it about how page was you know because of the kickback that they got on Zeppelin three about oh you guys you, you went all folky and acousticy and. You did this and that, and Paige was just like, "Well, go screw. We're going to do this." I mean, I mean, I have the vinyl right here, and even on the spine, there's nothing. There's not even like a like a like a code or anything. And the record company was just like, "You you can't do this. You can't release this album with no wording on it." And Jimmy Page was like, he was to the point where he held on to the master tapes of Led Zeppelin Four. He's like, "You will not release this album unless you do what I want." This is how it's going to re- be released. This is what the cover is going to be. It's going to be completely blank. There's going to be no words. And if you don't agree to it, we won't release the album. And the, the record company finally had to relinquish that and be like, if that's, if you're going to hold us over a barrel, fine. But, but in terms of the artwork, let's talk about that briefly. Um, you know, the little, the little picture of the guy with the sticks, it's a, it's a 19th century painting uh, that Robert Plant got at a little antique shop. And it was, it was put, on the inside of like a demolished building from a, from a, a tower in Birmingham. And uh, Jimmy page says that of course, everything has to have a story. Jimmy page is like, Oh, it's supposed to bring out the, the city country flavor, the up against each other. You know, you got a country and up against a demolished building. Who knows what, what that painting is, but it's, even if you're not a Zeppelin fan, even if you've never owned this album or listened to it, you know what it is. And when you look at the back of the cover, that's when you can see the background of the towers and the, and the partially demolished wall. Um, and then we can get into the gatefold, you know, in a minute. And obviously we'll get into the symbols too, Zeus. Yeah. So the thing that I, I like to think about is this isn't during the internet age. This isn't right. something that's going to go viral that someone's going to pick up. Oh, like, oh yeah. The Zeppelin album has this. They just put it out there. So think about this. How many people during the 70s went to the record store and just or were at a record store and didn't know that that was Zeppelin 4? Right? There's, there's no they, way to know. They didn't purchase it. They lost sales probably because no one knew, oh, that's Led Zeppelin 4. Right. There's Unless no way to know. someone had a sign, a record store probably said it. So people probably, they lost probably money on that, the fact that they did it and they wanted to be, oh, we don't want to have our name on it or anything like that. I guess an interesting question. I don't mean to interrupt you real quick, but like, even did the record store know what was, how did they know to file it under L? Did yeah. they know? You know what I mean? I wonder if, yeah, the, like, was, I, I would hope they would put it probably because Zeppelin's such a big seller, like new Zeppelin album and put right. underneath or something. Right. But right. I, I'm sure people walked in just like other people are like, what the fuck is the elder? What is this? 
Well, at least I'd, like, at least at least I'd said kiss on it though, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I'm saying yeah, like yeah. without the image, like in the name, you're like, what the hell is this? But the funny thing is, now you talked a little bit about the album and the inner the the painting of the old man. So people are trying to figure out who's the old man. Yeah. So some have kind of speculated that the tarot photo of the hermit right? This guy is actually him in his living form on the cover. Oh, okay. So, so when you, yeah. So when you open up the gatefold, that pick that famous picture of the guy holding the lantern and the candle standing on the mountaintop. Yeah. The tarot card guy. Yep. yep. The hermit. Yep. That that may have been him living in human form. Okay. Fair. Now there is another like, I mean, it's Zeppelin, so you can go down these rabbit holes. There's another story that this is a guy named Brusher Mills, who was like this British guy. I don't know. He like fucking lived in a, a it was like a snake charm guy, snake oil sale. I don't know. He used to fucking fight snakes and lived in the woods. And there's pictures and he became like some folklore hero and there's photos of him. And it kind of looks like him. But other than somebody fucking making, hey, I think that's him. There's no reference to him or at all or anything like that. Or that's what this painting is. So I I don't know who the guy is, but those are some of the rumors out there. The other part of this, I think, Tom, you may have touched on this. Suppose it because I have the CD. But if you opened up the the album, this is a wall of a damaged house. And in the background, you can see like this tower and other stuff. So this is like a long forgotten home, maybe. And this is an old photo of. And so maybe there's a sentimental feeling to it, like demolished home and old past. And then this old photo on this with the frame that's all jagged on this jaggedy wall that's all banged up and a house that's fallen, dilapidated. It gives it a different feeling. I, I don't know. But um there's also the part where they have the stairway to heaven lyrics, right? Yes. Well, it's funny real quick. That's everybody talks about the symbols. The symbols are found on the inside on the liner notes. Like they're not on the cover. They're not on the gatefold. Right. Yeah. And they each have their own little symbols. Supposedly what everyone calls something, uh, Jimmy's, uh, thing is Zoso. Yep. He said in interviews, like, that's not even a word. It's not meant to be a word. Right. Like, so who knows what the fuck these things are? They came up with symbols. They stole the four symbols from us. Kiss. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they, they have these imagery. Now they've got this more lore about them. Ooh, now they're the yep. symbol. Now, what do the symbols mean? Was this gone? You know, all this other stuff. Oh, one like final thing. I, before I forget, someone also mentioned that that could have been Alistair Crowley. It's not, it doesn't look, it's not him. It's not him. Yeah. So that was another one that they may have been him, but regardless, there's more of that devil mystery. Now you got four mysterious symbols on the album, right? What do they mean? What are they, who they represent and all that. Now you're, you want to know this shit. You're fascinated by this band. Who's got this mystery, this cloud all around them. And this album adds to it the cover does at least for most people zeus do you think you know we're obviously having these conversations discussions now in 2023 do you think or jay you know since you i i know you you've got just all the knowledge of it back in 71 i mean was it just 
know, hey, we're sending it out. People bought the album. And then over time, you know, people started kind of questioning and, and looking and analyzing it in a different way. Or you know, was were these questions coming up in the moment back in the day? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Oh, I believe absolutely they were back in the day. Oh, yeah. People were talking about, like, what the fuck does this mean? All the devil stuff. What is the symbols? Where do they go? And then, you know, then Paige started putting it on his pants. There's also uh, Bonham had it on his uh, drum set, the bass drum set. Robert had it on some, I think it was on a, a, um, what do you call it? A speaker. And then uh, on the piano that John Paul Jones had, his symbol was there. So these things are there. And and I think it just lead it, led to the lore. I mean, people were talking about Zeppelin and the whole you know, crossroads, selling your soul to the devil way back when this didn't quell that this probably added to it. Absolutely. When you think of the song stairway to heaven and this, I think this album more so than any other album that they did was part of the people, you know, the religious conservatives saying Zeppelin is is satanic. They heard the, the, um, um, you know, Paige bought uh, Alistair Crowley's house, um, yeah. the mansion in, in the UK and, and everything. And there's a video clip on YouTube that you can find. I think it's from the late 70s 
there's some point in the 70s where this preacher is on this talk show host, like somewhere in the south, playing stairway, stairway to heaven backwards. Mm. And he's like, you can hear, you can hear them say hell. <laughs> you can hear them say hell in that and everything. And it, it again, purposeful or not, I don't know. Probably it was. They wanted to create that, that, that sense of danger, that sense of mystery. And I think it all started with, with this album. And then when you think of Peter Grant and you think of what Tom said earlier about Jimmy Page hanging on to the masters and not releasing it to the record company, this is really what created Zeppelin and how they packaged music after this. Mm-hmm. You think of all the way through in through the outdoor releasing an album in a brown paper bag. <laughs> yeah. You know, like no, or or or, or that's actually, probably because it belonged in a brown paper bag. But we'll yeah, save that for we review that album. It it, it, it kind of started with the pinwheel with Led Zeppelin three. Yeah, but but Led Zeppelin four was you know brought it all to another level. And Peter Grant, which was also you know which was their manager at the time, was also known as a gangster. Yeah, um, put the fear of God into record labels. And, you know, he walked in and you did what Peter said or else you freaking probably have a bat to the head, probably, you know. So it was, yeah, the whole dynamic really took center stage with this album and a lot of things behind the music with the artwork, with the symbols, with the way that they were, you know, kind of, I'll say it, manipulating the the record label at the same time. I mean, you being the head of Atlantic Records, when one of your biggest artists comes to you and says, yeah, we're going to release it without our name, without a title. Just, just release it. I mean, you'd be like, "What the fuck you think we're gonna do here?" And it was the right call. It absolutely was the right call. Yeah, real quick, let's just kind of go through like wh- kind of what they mean, like w- briefly. So the Zozo thing, like Zeus said, it's not even a word. It's supposed to. There's a couple different things where the Z is not really a letter. It's an alchemic thing, and that the O S O is actually a, a version of six six six. There's been versions of that. Um, could say it represents Saturn. Of course, Page's symbol is the one that's most mystical and confusing. John Paul Jones is a. It's supposed to symbolize a person who has both confidence and competence. Bonham's symbol is uh the mother, father, child, which is also kind of funny because it's kind of the Valentine beer symbol. They were kind of joking about that because everybody knows Bonham like to booze. Plants was a feather. Um within a circle he actually designed that himself and that's something that's another kind of weird kind of whatever um but they just become iconic and like we mentioned you know the you got a bottom symbols on his drum head and you got everybody wearing them and, and they're just celebrated they're um t-shirts and stickers and whatever it's 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 just it's just part, it's part of the legend yeah one last thing about the album is jay mentioned it briefly it it most people refer to this as Zeppelin four. Um, the band is always referred to oh, our fourth album, our fourth album. And it's gone by Zoso. I think it was untitled and then runes or something like that too, as well. There was a uh, weird that- fit. Yeah. I've, 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 it's always been Zeppelin four. I have never called it. Hey, do you, Hey, do, have you heard the new untitled album? No one <laughs> says that. Who says that? Yeah. I, I, if you're going to do a self-titled album, it should be your debut. After that, fuck you. No offense. So. Well, I think the other thing, too, is just, you know, because they had the the previous two albums, two and three, it just, people just went with four. I mean, it was maybe just understood or assumed that, okay, they didn't put a title on it because the last one was three. This is four. 
Well, it's funny well, too because when you talk about, I'm sorry, Jay, real quick. I'm so, when you talk about albums that have untitled or, or self-titled albums that aren't a debut, I know for us, for us, we're Pearl Jam fans. They released a, a, a self-titled album with the avocado on the front, and I know for me, sometimes we're talking like, oh yeah, you know the one with the avocado on it. Like I, I don't say Pearl Jam self-titled. Like there's a, there's always a way because I'll be I'll be honest, with you, I don't even know what number album that Pearl Jam album is. <laughs> um, uh, but this has always been Zeppelin four because it's the fourth album. I mean, I've, it's never, it's never been confusing to me at least, but yeah, and I, they're not writing I, four. They're just putting four symbols. So that means Zeppelin four. Exactly. I think it's just the natural progression. Like, you know, Murph said, calling it Zeppelin four. Cause you can't sit long with your friends around a bonfire, drinking beer, smoking, whatever going, let's up on untitled. Yeah. Far and away the best album that they've done. I mean, just untitled just doesn't sound right, you know, right. to the, the ears. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just that, yeah, it's Led's Up on Four, and and we call it something different than the band calls it, basically. Yeah. All right. So let's get into uh, some quick facts about the uh, album. Uh, it was released November 8th, 1971. They were at Headley Grange when they recorded this one. The Rolling Stones mobile unit again. Uh, did some of the mixing and stuff all over the place. You got a Heedley, the Island Studio, Sunset Sound in LA. The um, again, they used uh, Andy Johns, I think, as one of the engineers. The album itself did not go to number one, which is insane. It <laughs> only went to number two, uh, probably stayed on the charts for a gazillion years. It has sold 24. Million copies, twenty four times platinum, uh, which is insane. Some of the accolades this album has received. Oh, jeez, uh, yeah. You know, hundred. I mean, I could probably do this all day, but hundred greatest albums ever made by Mojo, number twenty four, Grammy Hall of Fame award, album of the millennium, number two, hundred greatest rock albums ever, number one by Classic Rock, five hundred greatest albums ever. Rolling Stone had it fifty eight. Uh, Pitchfork top 100 albums in 1970s, number seven. It just, it, it's just, uh, oh, 100 greatest British rock albums ever, classic rock number one. It's in the definitive 200, top 200 albums of all time, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, number four. We could do this all day. Yeah. There's some interesting little factoid here with Jimmy Page. After the album was like mixed and put together, the, the, the band hated it so much that page remixed the entire album and then i thought this was interesting too there was more delays over the over what the cover was going to be there were more delays over whether it was going to be a double album and there was more delays about suggesting that it could be be released as a set of eps imagine if they did that imagine like here's our fourth album his eight 45s good luck yeah i mean this ep is uh, this EP has Battle of Evermore and four sticks on it. Oh, good. Well, I could use a new coaster, that. so that'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the other aspect of it, they had three songs that ends up going on four on albums in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. Down by the Seaside, Night Flight, and Boogie with Stu, who is Ian Stewart, who was a kind of like a de facto member of the Rolling Stones plays piano on one of the songs on rock and roll here and ends up becoming the name of the title song for boogie with stew, which ends up on physical graffiti with night flight and down by the seaside. 
So those three songs weren't on it. So I assume that's what they were thinking about if they were trying to do a double album, add those songs in there as well. And they also recorded um, an early version of No Quarter while they were making Led Zeppelin yep. Four, which obviously yeah. wouldn't come out wouldn't come out until later, obviously. Yeah. So um, those are some of the facts about Zeppelin Four. Let's get right into the songs. First song, Black Dog. Like I said in the beginning, guys, Black Dog was really my first introduction to Zeppelin. Driving around, coming back from holiday parties with my family or wherever we were going. This song was pretty much, this and Stairway to Heaven were the two constant Zeppelin songs played on the radio. And this is going back probably early 80s, 81, 82, 83, that this song was pretty prevalent in, in my life. And it was just a lot different. Than anything I had heard before, because as I've talked with people over time and, and just read just the uniqueness of the sound of this of this song, because it's one of the toughest songs for the band to play live, just because the way the guitar lays over the drums and the way the, the, what the drum beat is, it's very hard to keep time. And that's kind of the mastermind behind Bottom that he could do this. And Bottom was that drummer that. In most cases, they played to you know with the bass. Bottom played to Page, and doing that and having two different spectrums of what's going on with the song, and then you've got Plant with this British blues voice that sounds like he's from the Delta in uh, in Mississippi, Louisiana. Um, just is masterful. It's a very unique song. It's a very uh, different than I was, like I said, used to at that time. And I still don't think I've ever gotten, or ever I've, I've ever found the song in any sense of normalcy. It's always, still to this day, intriguing to me because of what's happening with the song and what's going on with it. Yeah, Jay, uh, you mentioned it earlier. This song here, I've actually seen online where people that haven't heard Led Zeppelin before are introduced to this song and their reaction to it probably was the reaction I had when I first listened to it. So I was talked about new stairway to heaven, bought the album. And, you know, whereas Zeppelin one, two, and three each start with this hard guitar riff right out of the gate. This one here starts with, Hey, Hey mama. Uh, and, And if you're, popping in the album for the first time 
know, it's it it's a it's a different different approach. Not knowing at the time, but understanding now, you know, their big influence from the the blues that the lyrics, you know, this is a bluesy type song, but it just shows how the band has evolved and matured where it doesn't sound like their earlier stuff. And uh, I, I remember as a kid laying in bed, listening to it, just the, uh, 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 you know, I was like, plant makes it sound good. Just the, the whole song, you know, how it goes back and forth with, you know, I thought it was just going to be plant heavy and then boom, the music jumps in and it's back and forth, back and forth. And it's almost like they gave each other their own space. And then at the end, you know, I, I love the outro of, uh, of what Paige does at the end, but always, always liked how this album started off with a song that just, uh, grabbed my attention right away. Arguably one of the greatest openers, not just for Zeppelin, but for any band. Um, and I think the thing I take away from this, I think starting with this song, I think it's Paige's way of just saying a big F you to everybody who thought they had softened on Zeppelin three with all the acoustic be like, nah, no, 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 we're back. We're Zeppelin talk rock at its finest right here with this song. The lyrics are not confusing at all. Jay hinted at the complicated riff. And I, I'm, I was happy to hear that the band acknowledged this because I was always, I was always like, kind of like confused and frustrated. I'm like, does the band know that there's a little time fuck up right there? Like, do they know that? And when I, I watched a documentary on this and I was doing some research and the riff is so complicated with the timing of it, that the only way that Bonham could keep up with it was just to not break stride with his drum beat because pages the riff would eventually come back into sync so if you listen to it very closely it it, it does it doesn't it doesn't jive musically or harmoniously and and then it swings back around and then the drums and the guitar catch up but again that's the just the the brilliance of them um and this whole type of song with the call and response you know uh i'm a huge cult fan the cult did this song a song called automatic blues on sonic temple they they did this Sounds great. It's obviously not Black Dog. I know Kiss tried to touch this a little bit with Radar for Love off of Asylum. We always be like, oh, yeah, that's that Black Dog. Um, but, I mean, this song is just, it's just fucking legendary. And, and Crying one in the one, Rain. One, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. In the, White in Snake. The fill the Night. Yep. Those one, two songs, one, the call and response. One last thing, too. At the very beginning of the song, you hear that kind of interference or whatever, that feedback from the amp. I have, I'm, t- I'm telling you, go back and look. This is just me. Every time I hear that effect, that sound, maybe because the name of the song is Black Dog, to me, it sounds like a dog panting. Panting. Thank you, Murph. Okay. Okay. And I always thought that that's what it was, but it's not. It just works. And it's another example of a song where no reference to the title anywhere. Never. Never. Nope. Black Dog is written by Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, and John paul jones uh the song's reference is to a dog that hung around headley grange during the recording and uh they said it's influenced by a song by fleetwood mac oh well uh i listened to it i get the point what they're trying to say yes uh, this is like 
it's so funny when you think of Fleetwood Mac, you're thinking, you can go your own way, like shit like that. That's badass Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, Mac. Early Fleetwood Mac is nothing like that shit. Oh, well, it was like a badass song. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, you're like, what the fuck what band is this? Yeah. You're like, that's not a fucking Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Black Dog, to me, it's just, Again, it's you. You 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 mentioned it earlier, Tom. You said something about the, you know you try to get the fatigue out of your head, but it's very fatigued for me. I'm so used to it. I've heard it a million times. It the point of it too is the excuse me. One point I'm trying to make is I've heard so many other people copy it that you forget this is the original. Like this type of call and response type song. The the vocalist has this awesome line, then the band comes in. And then it stops and the vocalist and then the band. This is the original, right? And this is the one that really stood out. Just even the lyrics. Spent my money, took my car, started telling her friends, you're going to be, we all know them. We all know. We have to feel like we know everything. Every word, every line is iconic because we've heard it a million times. Who hasn't tried to belt these songs out and these lines in that Robert Plant falsetto? Everybody does. Everybody. It's, it's so cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A big leg woman ain't got no soul. Dun, 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 dun. Like, it's so, it's so ingrained in your music brain that it comes second nature. The guitar, of course, is insane. I just, John Bonham is just in a league of his own. He's the only drummer that I like. His drum, like, the drumming is an instrument that I'm like, I enjoy. It's not just there to keep the beat and keep everybody else in place. It's its own instrument. And and, and he's just, he's just uh, so for me way ahead of any drum I've ever listened to. And he makes this thing work. The bass is incredible too. Mm -hmm. JPJ, uh, who is fantastic throughout this whole album as well. But these lyrics, we all know them. It's an incredible song that, uh, kicks off an album like think about it how do the first what's the opening track on the first album that changed really music yeah good times bad times times, bad times that's right what's the next one album opener whole lot of love that's right what's the next one immigrant song song. what's this one they fucking kick you in the nuts with every opening track Mm -hmm. that you're like i don't want to put on this isn't by myself by peter chris out of control <laughs> this is black dog opening yep. up an album yep so and one other thing also is that you know with uh it being so documented of how plant over the years has tried to distance himself and recreate himself from the you know the, the zeppelin brand that for his solo album in 88 you know having this riff on a long uh tall cool one that oh, yeah. I, I I thought that you know that this song had to mean something to him to include that in his uh his solo career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Black Dog actually was released as a single. Did you know we went up to number fifteen? It's on uh, Rolling Stone's list of five hundred greatest songs at two hundred and ninety four. Guitar riff of the millennium. It went to number seven. Classic rock top fifty classic rock songs of all time. Number eighteen. Uh, just where do you go with? But it? it is one of those. But it is for me personally. It is one of those songs where 
Is there fatigue? Yes, but it's a good kind of fatigue because I still fucking love it. It just rips. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next track. Rock and roll. I mean, if we just talked about opening tracks, when you listen to rock and roll compared to Black Dog, obviously there's no right or wrong on this, but you would make the case or you can make the argument that rock and roll would have been probably the 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 one to open up an album just by its subject matter, just by the, how they opened up shows with this with this song. Um, it's a throwback to the days of like, you know, uh, Chuck Berry and, and 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 those artists from that time period too. It's a very old school type of rock song that Zeppelin does. Um it's it's this song still is so powerful in just a rock and roll tune, a pure rock and roll song. So we just talked about, you know, the opener of Black Dog, which you know Zeus mentioned and said very uh very true that you know it kicked you in the nuts. If they would have went with this song on the as an opener it would have done the same thing i mean when you've got two powerful songs at the top of their most iconic album and that really does set the tone for the listener because you're on a you're on a freaking journey right now i mean you're hearing black dog in a rock and roll you are like primed and ready for zeppelin by this point and there's there's take no prisoners with these two songs this song was either a closer for a lot of their tours it was also an opener for many of their tours too, especially around this time. It's just, man, nothing gets me going in terms of Zeppelin quite like rock and roll. I could put this song on whenever it's, it'd be a year since I listened to it. I could listen to it. on repeat all day, whatever. And it still sounds fresh. It still sounds great to me. I, I know this is not probably going to make a lot of sense, but I've always viewed this as, if zeppelin's version of a pop song that it is packaged and delivered very tight there isn't a lot of uh improv in it you know compared to what you see in some of their earlier albums absolutely understand where the influence is you know where they were trying to kind of acknowledge the as you said jay chuck berry little richard um it's i've always found this to be one of my favorites just because it's it's simple it's straightforward uh this obviously has the the piano element that you haven't seen previously and you know it's it's crossed over you see it you know before concerts that you see every time we go see kiss you know that's gonna come out there and maybe that's where you know i think a lot of people may say fatigue 
But just going back to how I was introduced to this album, there's no way that you're not going to get sucked in by this song. And loved it the first time that I hear it, and I still don't get tired of it. Well, here comes the hate mail for Zeppelin Chronicles. Um, the way I feel about this song is very similar to the way I feel about Let Me Go Rock and Roll by Kiss. Jay's shaking his head, and I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you. I knew you were going to go there because you don't, that's old school. It's, it's not it's, in their wheelhouse. It's a band doing something that I don't want to hear from them. Is it done well? Yes. Rock and roll. Great song. Great drums. Great riff. Can't, you can't, you can't turn away from it. But like Murph said, it's to me, he, Murph didn't use this word. Murph said pop song. Uh, he was kind. To me, it's cliche. It's, it's them, it's them trying to do Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. And I get it. I get it. They wanted to Americanize their sound. I get it. It's just not what I want to hear when I listen. When I listen to Led Zeppelin, I want to hear Black Dog. I want to hear a whole lot of love. I want to hear Immigrant Song. I want to hear, you know, going to California or what. I, I just, I don't, I just don't want to hear this cookie cutter song. It's not bad. It's just not a song that I like. And the fatigue on this is is the the fatigue on this. I think the only time I enjoy this, and I'm glad Murph brought up, the only time I enjoy this is when they play it before the Kiss show because that means the curtain's about to drop. Tommy, this is why I wanted to go after you (laughs) in this episode so I could start off with the Jane, you ignorant slut. Don't worry. There's more where this came from. Yeah. I I mean, my question to you, Tom, is, is it cliche now? Because I don't think it was cliche in 1971. Oh, that's fair. No, 50 years later, probably not. But I see, I think back then it was, I think it was the, I, the, again, I don't have any proof of this and research doesn't show this. I think it got in their heads that they were accused of a folky acoustic band after Zeppelin three. And they were like, no, we're not. Look, we can make a song called rock and roll. Look, it sounds like Chuck Berry. Look, we, we can kick ass. We can have like, that's just me again. It's not a bad song. It's well-crafted when they perform it live. It absolutely rips. But it's just not what I want from Zeppelin. It's just that simple. I, I disagree because of this. Okay. I don't think Zeppelin ever did anything on any album to appease a fan base. I don't think I don't think they did. I ne- I never thought I, I can't see Paige and John Paul Jones, Bonham and Plant sitting in the studio. Well, we gotta write something because the fans were upset with us because of Led Zeppelin three. Oh, I, I can't. I don't think that ever factors into their to their creative process and think look at the album cover they didn't give a fuck musicians yeah. musicians are proud people they did not like the feedback from zeppelin three i think this this song stems from when you hear their bootlegs and you hear the yeah. medley during dazed and confused and the medleys during whole lot of love mm-hmm. how they did little richard songs how they did blues numbers how they did you know uh, uh rock and roll songs i mm-hmm. think they wanted to encompass something that they were known for live on an album because you know obviously they're known for their blues and their blues background yep. but when you listen to some of those medleys i mean they they go from everywhere from a little richard song to a um a buffalo springfield song to a blues number too as well so i think that this was a tribute to what they were about during those live performances and sequences i think that's where the 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 the, the genesis of this song came from well to to quote ron burgundy i don't like it 
Sunny right. suddenly <laughs> entered in in their Zeppelin Chronicles. Uh, rock and Roll, it was written by all four members, Plant, uh, Page, Bonham, and Jones. Uh, it went to number 47 on the charts. So while I'll, I will, um, I, 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 I know Tom doesn't like it, and he's true to his uh, opinion because I know that's how, what he says the same thing about uh, let me go rock and roll which is the old school kind of rock and roll type of song and Kiss and Zeppelin really don't do all the songs other than these two songs so I get it however I will say this the song supposedly came out of a jam when they were finishing up Four Sticks yes. now if if you're a little Richard fan you know exactly the beginning is the exact beginning of keep on knocking. That is keep on knocking, which is one of the most interesting songs in history because it's about fucking you fucking in the ass. It's about anal sex. Keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Keep on knocking, but you can't come in like nothing keep to lose, on knocking, but you I... can't come in, come back tomorrow morning and try again. Fucking dirtiest bastard, just like Tutti Fruity was loose booty original. I can hear that drum and Bonham probably doing that. And Jim, Jimmy, they love that old uh, R&B music, original rock and roll stuff. You're not going to find a bigger Elvis fan than uh, Robert Plant. So he probably picked up and started doing some Chuck Berry, yeah. you know, m- guitar over that little Richard drumming. Hence, one of the greatest Led Zeppelin songs of all time. This song. There have been times I've been fatigued of it, but you hear it and you're just still like, it's fun. Just at the guitar solo at the end. And then all of a sudden you hear Bonham come in with the cymbals. And then he goes right back into it. Oh my God. It is so fucking fun. I can only imagine what it would be like to be on stage playing that during a concert in Zeppelin. And how much joy they would probably, it's just a loose, fun, kick-ass, hard-rocking, old-time rock and roll song. And they fucking hit it out of the park. I think it's fantastic. Kudos to them for coming up with it. But in addition to that, I think Murph, in one sense, I know you say it's popish, but I find it to be more the word is accessible. Tom likes to use that word. This song is very accessible. To non-Led Zeppelin people that are turned off by some of their other stuff. Crossover. Which, which, yeah. which is ex- which you just made my point. So you I don't just know made my purposely, point. But I don't think they were like, we need a song to get on the radio. Or we need a no, song no, no, to no. cross over. I think they, this song just works that way. Put it this way. I'm being one of those people that I hate to be. I'm like gatekeeping Led Zeppelin. I don't want you liking Led Zeppelin because you like rock and roll. Yeah, no. Yeah, which the album which is well, how we started minutes. the show. I know. Yeah, I, I know. like Led Zeppelin, Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Stairway to Heaven. Like, Nerd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you have to like hats off to Roy Hopper if you're exactly. a real Zeppelin fan. Yeah. That's a song you would not call accessible. But right. regardless, uh, the song just kicks ass. Uh, Rolling Stone has it as number nine of their 40th greatest Led Zeppelin songs. Some uh, some more accolades. The um, uh, VH100 Greatest Rock and Roll Songs of All Time, number 66. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shape rock and roll. It's in there, listed. 
And uh, it was the advertising. Do you remember this for the Cadillac? Yep. In 2001. Yep. And in 2002, the advertising campaign increased Cadillac sales by 16%. That's fucking insane. Can you imagine being like, "Ah, you know what? I was going to buy a Honda, but I heard rock and roll by Led Zeppelin. (laughs) And now I'm going to buy a Coupe de Ville. First, first it it makes it sound cooler, like Cadillac. But you know that, oh, that rock and roll song. And the word yeah. and then Cadillac, you start coming synonymous with it. And so like the it's branding and Cadillac stays in your head. I've oh, driven a, ca- a Cadillac. I've, I've driven a Cadillac hundreds of times, <laughs> yeah, thousands <obviously>. of times. <laughs> okay, Jack Klopas. <laughs> oh. All right. Track number three. A historic lesson from uh, Led Zeppelin, right? Uh, this is so different than really anything they've done in terms of the subject matter, in terms of the way the song is presented. It features, you know, the first female singer, um, or I think the only uh, female singer on a Led Zeppelin track, uh, Sandy Denny, who was uh, the only a- non-Zeppelin member to sing on an Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Only not, yeah. yeah. I think I think she was a like a folk singer at the time, but mm-hmm. the song is about I think it's uh, the Scottish War, the Scottish Independence War, um, the Battle of Evermore. Which, if you're living in the UK, I'm sure you're pretty well equipped on on what this you know this this war meant to the development of that region of the world. And you go from Black Dog, this heavy blues song to rock and roll this rock and roll anthem to this song that's you know, like what is this like I, I understand but that again is what makes zeppelin who they are is because they're able to change and do so many different things and they're so diverse they're so layered they're so deep it's not one of my favorite songs in their catalog i've grown to appreciate it more over time but I'll stay with that word appreciation. I, I do appreciate what they were trying to do with this song and kind of break the the you know kind of break the the mold of what they were doing on this album. Because I mean, how do what do you follow up with 
Black Dog and Rock and Roll as a one-two punch. You follow it up with a folk song about a war in the UK, you know, as Plant is more kind of uh, almost in a speaking voice um, instead of singing. You know, there's parts where he does belt out some things, but he's got more of a talking voice in his singing rather than what we're what we're used to from him. So it's an interesting song. Um, the song, the album is so has so much greatness with it that it's almost unfair to put this song on this album in the sense that it's going to get overshadowed by pretty much everything else on this. Like, you know, if you're a kid and you're my age, you know, when, you know, in high school, you're hearing black dog, you're hearing rock and roll, you know, stairway to heaven's coming up. You're skipping the song. <laughs> you're fast forwarding it, you know, and, and, and it's a great piece of, it's a great song in terms of just the subject matter and, and the structure and everything. But you want to get from black dog to rock and roll to stairway as quickly as possible. <laughs> and then this is, this is holding up the game, so to speak, but I do appreciate what they were trying to do. Um, bell for more. Um, again, not one of my favorites in their catalog, but definitely a, a, a Zeppelin type of song where they stretch themselves and show their di- diverse, uh, the diverse selection of music. I was surprised in the moment when I heard this for the first time, I liked it. I think part of it was, I'm pretty sure it was the first song I ever listened to that had a mandolin. So it was a sound that was new to me and very distinct. Jay, to, to your point, it almost seems like with uh, Plant you know, talking, he was leaving it to Sandy Denny to, you know, she was going to hit the, the notes that he normally would cover in a song. But something you just said connected with me big time because I liked the song in the moment, but when I was playing it over and over again, this this album on cassette, I would be forwarding on a tape and it would all like, oh, there's still more. Oh, there's still more. Like it, you know, the song, the song goes on for a bit. And I always remember that I would probably I've probably listened to this song hundreds of times, but those last 30 to 45 seconds in the mandolin to me almost feels like it's the intro to Led Zeppelin 4 because it was like, all right, I'm going to skip after rock and roll, go through Battle of Evermore, go into Stairway to Heaven. And I just would go like, all right, you know, I would forward too far. I'd be into Stairway to Heaven. Then I'd have to forward, you know, rewind back. So the mandolin is what kind of sticks in my memory more than anything else. But it's, you know, you know, my, my feeling it's the most unique song in their catalog because it's the only song with a, you know, a different singer and a female to boot, but I liked it. You guys are being way too nice. It's okay to say this song sucks. It's it's okay, Jay. It's not good. It's not good. And the biggest problem is it's almost six minutes long. Oh my God. I can't, I can't get, I'll tell you, here's a, here's a little secret. We've been listening to this album our entire lives. The very first time I ever listened to all five minutes and 38 seconds of this song was preparing for this episode. I I can't, I can't get through it. It is, it's dissonant sounding the the music and, and Robert's vocal tone. Sandy Denny sounds wonderful. It's just too long and it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, I, I, I like folky stuff. I, I, I love what's on Zeppelin three and they do folk again later on in this album and later on in their discography. There's, 
for lack of a better word, this is like just a noisy song. And 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 I just don't like what's going on. And it and it gets noisier. And if this was like two and a half minutes or something, three minutes, okay. There is absolutely no reason on planet Earth for this thing to be pushing six minutes. None. There's just not. And I can't, I I just I just can't I can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry. But Jay, but Jay, you're right. I will give you credit for saying I want to skip this because I want to get to stairway to heaven as fast as I can. All right. Battle of Evermore. Uh, this is written by Paige Plant. Okay. <laughs> I think the first time I really started listening to this song was when I bought the single soundtrack and realized, oh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's on Zeppelin 4. Wow. This is a pretty good version. I like the two sisters singing this song. Went back. The song has grown on me over the years. I, I like folk music. That mandolin. Okay. Maybe it's because I've listened to Greek music in my background of my life, my whole life. So it sounds very much like a bouzouki. So I'm used to that sound and I don't mind it. It, it, it It's got a kind of, you know, it's a mandolin. So, but I'm used to that kind of folksy kind of rhythm and uh, acoustic sounding uh, music. I like it. I I, I don't know. It, it works. It grows on me. It's, it's something different. This is what Zeppelin can do versus other bands. Uh, Robert does the narrator part of the song and, and uh, Sandy Duncan from fucking Peter Pan uh, <laughs> sings the town crier uh, representing the people, the back and forth from them are it's fantastic. Again, I didn't pick up on that too much until I started listening to the single soundtrack. And I always used to be like, why the fuck of all the songs of a Zeppelin fucking song are they doing Battle of Evermore? But it grew on me. I, I I can't explain it. I think they did play this live a little bit. And now Robert does this with Alison Krauss uh, on on her when they toured together. And uh, to me, it's a decent song. It's not bad, but it's not going to be like, oh. Stop what you're doing. I need to listen to Battle Evermore to get psyched up for this game coming on. Like, it's nice. It works. I, I think if this, if this song was on Zeppelin 3, I think it would have been appreciated more and worked a lot better. But like I said, when you put it between three behemoths of songs, Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Stairway to Heaven, you have that sandwiched in there. I think it almost does the song dis, a disservice because those three songs are so iconic. And you've got this song that you really, it's a totally different subject matter. It's an interesting subject matter. It's an interesting approach to Zeppelin, you know, doing the song. It's just, I think it's nearly impossible for you to appreciate the song the way it's intended to be. But it gives you, it gives you like some breathing room. Yeah. We just fucking knocked your head off. Let's take it down a little notch before we really knock your fucking head off again. Let's, let's get you in the mood. And then it kind of goes right into the soft beginning of the next track, right? Yeah. And I don't think I'm ever going to introduce a bigger song ever on this podcast. And that's this song. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold. And she's buying the stairway to heaven. When she gets there, she knows if the stores are all closed. 
I mean, what can you say? This song, man, it's it's so powerful, even 30 plus years after first hearing it. And I I, I want to preface it and say that I always get annoyed with music elitists that tell you that something's great and you need to like it. Right. We have, you know, the contingency in Rolling Stone magazine and other publications and blogs where 
it's almost like there's this effort to make a song great that really doesn't deserve to be called great or a band for that matter to be called great that really doesn't deserve to be called great yeah i think this song here is pure greatness there's nothing wrong with it it's so perfect i don't you know we always talk about at least when i describe an album or a song i say it's near perfect because to me there's only less than a handful of perfect songs and this is one of them and there's a reason at one point this song was the most requested song on rock radio for not just a year like for decades right this song means so much to people as plant would intro this song and live shows it's a song of hope and you know it's got the lyrics are a bit different from one um you know, from one part to another, but they're, it's kind of like a, a, a bunch of fables, you know, told within this song about a different perspective or, or to be kind of like peeling back the orange and ta- having like a different perspective on things. Um, This is really what I was referring to when I talked about Blood Zeppelin four is the fatigue factor and how, as you mentioned, I think it was you Zeus that, you know, when someone says their favorite song, Led Zeppelin, you kind of like dismiss them as a Fairweather bandwagon fan. And it's such the wrong way to think. And I agree with your assessment on that because. You mean Stare to a Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I, you know, Stairway to Heaven is such a, you know, when people say Stairway to Heaven is their favorite song. You, you, we always dismiss them because it's like everybody says that everybody you know feels that you know and that's such a the wrong way to think and because it's so good and because it has been overplayed right it has i mean there's no doubt about it but we shouldn't penalize a perfect song for being overplayed because that's it's just not that you- jay jay let me just cut you off for a second it's not that it's oh i'm penalizing you it's because it's such a given. We all know it's greatness. Yeah, right. You don't have yeah. anything else? Like, oh, you like that song? You're supposed to like that song. Oh, you yeah. like drinking water? Oh, okay. I take care Can't of my kids. Out on a limb su- there. I take care of my kid. You're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it, where it, I think we're getting at yeah, with yeah. Stairway. Like, okay, we all know that. Put it aside. That That doesn't count. What else do you like from Led Zeppelin? That's where I'm coming yeah. from. Well, that, that's what really kind of spawned. This in Cashmere um, is really what spawned my list of Zeppelin favorite songs. I have my favorite popular Zeppelin list, and I have my favorite deep track Zeppelin list. You know, because because yeah. your your street cred is questioned when you say <laughs> yeah, your exactly. favorite song is Stairway to Heaven <laughs> or Cashmere. You know, it's true. It's, it's so... It's so bad that we do that, but it's indicative of the greatness. I mean, this song all across the globe. You could play this in Chicago, Boston. You could play this in Pakistan. You could play this in the you know wherever in Europe and Australia and New Zealand, wherever. And this song resonates with people all over the globe. How many songs can can say that they do that? Right. I mean. And as it kicks in with the drums, you know, a little bit over midway through the song, you know, with bottom comes in with this drums and it just makes the, it makes it almost like a completely different song. And then you go into the guitar solo, another, it's like a different change of the song. And then 
Plant's vocals come in, which is he's, he delivers them differently than he's has the whole song previous to this. It truly is a journey of a of a song. I mean, it really is, and I, I think that you know people yawn when they when they when you mention Stairway to Heaven. Stop yawning. Appreciate that we are on the planet with when this song exists, and how lucky we are to have this song to be able to listen to any time we want because it is a perfect song. Too bad they stole it. Oh, there comes Murph. What a jag bag. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree. I mean, you can't talk about the history of rock and roll without talking about this song. I mean, it's, you know, the, the story, it's like, why didn't they put this on that? satellite that's sent out in space yo if it's found by other life beings of what life is like on on earth i know i think it's the rolling stones it's like put this song on it this is this is as good as it gets and i i think what's always been great about this song is that it's eight minutes it's as close to perfect as you can get and it just you can appreciate it you know they've got other stuff in their catalog that's Three minutes, that's awesome. But this here, it's you capture it, savor it, enjoy every second of it. And you know, Tommy, as you mentioned earlier about the the dances and what do you do? First girl I ever asked out on a date, asked her <laughs> during the guitar solo because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> hey, do you want to go to Papa Gino's? So uh but yeah, I, I think trying to uh, analyze this anymore is a disservice. We all know how important and great the song is, and uh, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say simply to me, to me, it is arguably the greatest rock song ever written, and it could be right up there with arguably the greatest song ever written. The composition, the way it builds, the way it grows, the way it crescendos into the greatest guitar solo in history. Lyrically, emotionally, vocally, it is a perfect 10 five-star song. We talk about fatigue. There is no fatigue for me with this. If it comes on on shuffle, if it comes on on satellite radio, if I occasionally seek it out on my own on Spotify, it is the song of all songs. And I think there's really not too much more that any of us can say other than Zeus's personal thoughts on it. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, written by Page and Plant. Whew, wonder what those residuals are on that song, huh? Good <laughs> Lord. Just that. It wasn't released as a single, but FM radio started putting it on. Uh, the accolades, I could go on for fucking days. So I will give you a few. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, top 500 songs that shaped rock and roll Hall of Fame. 10 of the best songs ever, classic rock, UK, number one. VH100, greatest rock songs of all time, number three. Uh, Grammy Awards, Grammy Hall of Fame Award. Rolling Stone, 500 greatest songs of all time, number 31. Guitar World, 100 greatest solos, number one. Rolling Stone, 100 greatest guitar songs of all time, number eight. It is in a, a place of its own. Uh, the song, I think, is close to eight minutes. There's not a second of it that's disposable. Every part of the song works. It's just the way it's supposed to be. That length. Not one little flute part that needs to be missing. Not one little extra Robert moan. 
Jimmy guitar outro drums by Bonham. Uh, in fucking credible. Um, the the amount of accolades that could be bestowed on this song is endless. The music in and of itself. If this was a, a, a fucking instrumental, it'd be the greatest instrumental of all time. Then you add the vocals. Then you add like the fucking way that the vocals interact in Robert's accent on any word that's on this with what's going on with Jimmy and, and Bonham in the background. In fucking credible. Now, the other part to this is I, I do like that it has like different sections. So the beginning part, which is just the acoustic guitar and the, you know, the uh, recorders. Remember, we all used to get recorders in music, right? When we were younger. Yeah. So, and I go, <laughs> <laughs> that goes to the 215 mark and then gradually moves into the electric middle, right? And you can tell almost when he goes from the acoustic and then all of a sudden he's got the electric, bam, 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 like the, the strings get harder and you can hear it. Fucking love it. And it's starting to blow like, uh, build and build again and then gradually moving into the uh guitar solo but when bonham comes in fuck phil collins and in, in the air tonight that's the best <laughs> drum intro of all time yep, yep. and it, it's the part where robert isn't singing and makes you wonder he just says in that breathing section oh and that's when you know and all of a sudden boom if there's a you know it because it's giving you chills when you think about it when it comes in. And that guitar solo, it has got so much touch and feel to it. it. It's almost like classical music. It's like Mozart or Beethoven. It is that emotional. And and the way just the drums and then listen to be your rock and not to roll. And then the way Bonham, it's almost like I always picture him like standing up like pissed off like fucking banging it like like a hammer on the drums because they're so accented at the end that build up that you almost feel when it comes down when robert does oh like he's just like out of breath like done wiped out you fucking finish and he just hits the last symbol and he like crashes on his drum set because he his drumming is to me just as great as uh the the solo that page does i i this is why John Bonham to me, nothing, nobody can ever touch him. Nobody. And then it it just ends with the, the famous lyrics. We also got to mention the fact that there's the spookiness of it. Stairway to heaven. There's a lady. It's again about the afterlife and Satan or God or heaven. More of that mystique. And it goes to their biggest fucking song. So it adds to all that stuff. Then... There becomes the stupid back, uh, backmasking claim yep. Yep. that when you play it backwards, satanic references, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give you, he'll give you 666. It's just ridiculous. Stupid. And then I love it because Eddie Kramer goes in and talks about it. He calls it totally and utterly ridiculous. Why would they would want to spend so much in the studio time doing something so dumb? Yep. Hey, are you guys are you guys familiar with um, 
how this song was used. It didn't make the final take for uh, the movie Almost Famous, which you know Zeppelin is heavily used in that movie. But uh, the the scene that was cut was that the you know, the the kid, the lead actor who's supposed to be Cameron Crowe, yep, he's uh, trying to convince his mother that to to go travel with the band, and he's fifteen. And he tries to explain to her the reason why there's a scene where he sits her down and just plays Stairway to Heaven. And it's eight minutes. And all they do is just the song plays and they're staring at each other. And he's like, this is why I need to go do this. And they didn't make the final cut because the movie was already long. But it just that's how strong Cameron Crowe felt about it, that that needed to be communicated. And I think. You know, just to to put that in there and have the idea, and you know, obviously it's in the you know, if you buy the you know the the copies on the DVDs, you'll you'll see it in there. But you know, even in a scene like that, it just it communicates how important this song is. Yep, I'll tell you why it wasn't used. The amount of money that they had to pay to use the full <laughs> "Stairway to Heaven" song in a movie. It probably had to be. Well, I, th- I think it was. I think it was that, and I think it was probably like they realized audiences don't want to watch two people not talk while listening to a song. Well, actually, the he had showed them the the cut, and they said you can use four or five, like because of their history. He, they allowed yeah. him oh, to yeah. pick certain songs. I think for that one, it was probably the the financials, but he you know he had covered them throughout the 70s and i think they wanted to do them solid but yeah there was probably something you know to that element as it you know related to that specific song yeah. one of the things that's so powerful about this song too when they played it live a lot of times you know after the verse you know and the forest will echo in laughter plant would always say does anybody remember laughter yes and yep you can zeppelin was never a political man and it's really not a political statement, but you can totally understand and, and use that term for today's day and age with the state of the world, with the state of who we've become. You know, does anybody remember laughter? We know we don't laugh anymore. We don't, you know, we don't, except on this show, um, when Tom makes exactly. comments like about rock and roll. But um, but it's such a it, it's such a powerful, simple statement that Plant would say in the live performances of this of this song that could be could be so applied to today's world and my favorite part of this song if i do have a favorite part is that moment before the solo you have that triumphant presentation yep and it's almost like they know that this song's fucking badass like they're 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 claiming victory before the solo like we got and I love that, just that triumphant, like, like parade, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it. It just has such a powerful because it leads right into the solo. And it just, it makes you, it makes the song so much more uplifting. And ah, it's just, it's just amazing. And hence, when they know they re- just recorded this album, they can be like, fuck it. We're not going to put it out. You'll see. You'll see. They didn't record fucking pretty boy floyd album go hey put this out without a cover where this is what listen, we released listen if you go back in time and if danger danger did the same thing on their third album <laughs> no 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 title nobody would know the danger, difference danger untitled it would oh, have yeah. been the biggest album in their they were to heaven what danger danger we could fucking <laughs> don't need that oh. shit anyway 
I mean, we could do this. We could do a fucking series, a podcast just on Stairway to Heaven. No offense. We really could. Let's flip the album over. Go to song one on side two. Back to the land of the Hobbit with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> As it first was mentioned in Ramble On, the Misty Mountains that they talk about in in the great J.R. Tolkien book uh, makes its return, makes its triumphant return to the uh, the sounds sonically of, of Led Zeppelin, the sonic sounds of Led Zeppelin. This song is such a cool tune. Um, following up after... You flip the album over and you start this again. This album continues to give you so many turns and so many different perspectives. And I, I always listen to this now as kind of like a bookend to Trampled Underfoot. The songs are very similar in terms of, you know, the way the keyboards are played, the way the, you know, the, the way John Paul Jones plays, you know, over the, over the riff similar to that it's such a you know in terms of in terms of plant vocals it's it's a great tune and it was another one that was very prevalent when i was younger um the only thing that about this song is that you have such a great impactful beautiful song prior to it like you're coming down after this song and it takes you a bit if you listen to it to kind of get back into that that mindset of a rock and roll tune, you know, a rock song, because you've just been, you've gone places your mind has never gone before. It's stairway to heaven. So it's a great song. I, I think as, as Belle Evermore was a disservice sandwiching it between three songs of greatness. I almost think there's a tad bit of disservice putting Misty Mountain after the greatest song of all time and you're supposed to like you know just go back to what you were doing but i i, I love the tune it's see it's a unique vocal approach with what plant does and uh, i don't think there's a song in their catalog up until then that really does sound like this um i think this was really unique at the time for them yeah jay i was just about to say it um unique uh up to this point there wasn't anything else that sounded quite like this it's it's an upbeat i mean the while the lyrics you know might speak otherwise you know it i always viewed it as a happy type song for them you know misty mountain hop if you will but you know i know it references to some of the i think the time where plant was uh, arrested and and you know with the reference to the police 
you know, tell them to all get in line. But you know, going back to once again with the Walkman, the the drums, you know, for the Sony Walkman I had, it was, you know, I remember it being very heavy. And I know Bonham is you know, prevalent through so many of the songs, but it stood out more on this one. And then it's this is actually one of the uh, my more favorite uh, Jimmy Page solos, uh, just it, because it is different than you know, what we've heard prior to this point. We'll you know get more down the road, but it, it's it's one of the more upbeat songs that I uh, would, would put on on the uh, the list as it relates to Zeppelin. Yeah, this has always been a go-to track for me on this album. I absolutely love it. Murph hinted at it with the drums. Bonham is absolutely pummeling the drums in this song, driving the song. But two things stick out to me that make the song extremely unique. Uh, John Paul Jones backing the, the the rhythm of this song with that with that electric piano organ. You can hear it in the background. It adds so much texture and, and it just solidifies the song. And we talked about Robert Plant's vocals. The vocal melody is weird, but I, I, looking into into this, doing some research on this, I, I think that was the point. I think the the na 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 na. I think that was him like sing songing, supposed to be almost like a hippie, just like hippy dippy kind of shit. And then when he's done, he's like, you know, what do you what do you think I saw? And then it gets into like the Robert Plant that we know and love. So I think that as kind of oddly sounding and maybe quote unquote unpleasant it may be to hear that vocal melody i think it serves a point to the song um you know it it it, it refers to uh there was an event on july 7th of 1968 called legalized pot rally in in london and the police were there arresting people and it's 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 plants way of kind of celebrating joy and freedom and all that good stuff but there's a funny part here. I I know Murph will, will remember it. Zeus will too. Everybody everybody might remember it. But every time I hear the title Misty Mountain Hop, I always think of a scene from Singles when Cliff is sitting on the edge of his bed and he says, where are the anthems of our youth? What happened to the music that meant something? The who with the kingdom kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? And I love that a movie, of course, Cameron Crow made Singles, but I love a movie that takes place in the nineties, takes place during the alternative grunge scene. And Cliff plays the lead, you know, the singer of a grunge band that he references Zeppelin and Misty mountain hop. And I just, I think it's a great song. I think it's, it's unique. Um, but I think Bonham just drives this tune for me. Misty mountain hop written by uh page plant and Jones. Yeah. I, I think this is, I would put this in a kind of a, a section of Zeppelin songs that are happy celebration day comes to mind misty mountain hop it makes you feel like oh these guys are having a good time they're actually not always so somber and serious and about devil and worshiping and stupid shit so i i I like the song it's catchy the lyrics and the vocals this is not an easy song i can only imagine trying to sing this a lot and the the doubling of the vocals on this too as well you pick up on tremendously. And you know, it ain't Jimmy Page doing fucking helping out on the harmonies on this. So it it's it's quite interesting. The drumming is obviously something that comes up and you can tell and, and pick it up because it's bottom. And he just it's just another one of his incredible performances on a Zeppelin song. The fact that it's and and this is something I was just thinking about. You really could have some fun with this in changing the album order of the songs. 
Because what I think about mm-hmm. is now, what if you took rock and roll and open side two with that? How fucking badass would that have been? And you put Misty Mountain Hop right after Black Dog, still a good song, happy, go lucky, Battle of Evermore. Okay, well, now we're doing a little folk. And then you go to Stairway to Heaven. You're not complaining. And then you open with rock and roll on side two, ending with When the Levy Breaks. That's pretty badass. Usually, I don't think that songs can be changed on a Zeppelin album, but this this one is a little bit different. Uh, I, I enjoy the song, and uh, I know what uh, other versions of this song that you guys are familiar with, because we had this at college. Everybody bought that Zeppelin tribute album. It's the opening track, mm-hmm. and it's done by four non-blondes, remember? Yep, and I love it. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to song number two on side two. Sticks. Again, John Bonham with a huge presence on every Led Zeppelin album. I love the fact that Zeppelin is the only band that allows their drummer to have a moment on every album because you know you think of the Stones, the Beatles, all these other great bands that are part of that upper echelon of bands and artists. They don't give Charlie Watts a moment. They don't give Ringo Starr a moment, but you've got John fucking Bonham in your band, you're going to give them a moment like Moby Dick. You're going to give them a moment like Four Sticks. Later on, you know, you've got uh, Achilles' Last Stand, which is essentially a, a, a bottom song with the way his drum fills and all that stuff. And then you've got Fool in the Rain that has the diversity. Everyone talks about that being, you know, a radio-friendly song later on. But if you listen to the drum track on that and how, all the things that Bonham's doing, it's amazing. But getting back to four sticks i mean the guy plays with four drumsticks for christ's sakes i mean you know i mean he's pounding the shit out of the drums and that was such such you know the uniqueness of bonham was he hit the drums so hard but he still had feel in a pocket because usually if you hit the drums that hard back then 
you it, you would be off timing because you had to smack the drum and get back to the beat. He was able to do both, which is very unique. And and when you hear him play, his pocket is undeniable. There's no one that's had a better pocket than John than John Bonham. But I, I love the fact that Zeppelin gives him a moment on every album. They gave him two moments really here with the solo and rock and roll. And now this, I mean, yeah. I mean, what's not to love about it? I'll tell you. Ooh, here it comes. Yeah. So, uh, the reason why, when Tommy, when you were saying, why, why am I defending and speaking positively of, uh, battle of Evermore? Uh, it's because, uh, I was saving my, criticism for this song this this song i i just it to give an indication where i'm going to lean on future songs and albums i do not really have much of a a a like for the music and the influences of plant that are represented on this song uh just it's it's never connected with me bonham's incredible you know it, it resonates throughout the whole song but even with plant, you know, this is uh, kind of a pitch tone that I, I didn't really care for. Uh, and, and then at the end, it's just comes across as whiny. And, and as much as I love this album, uh, this song in the moment and, you know, didn't care for it and probably, you know, just uh, skimmed over it in preparation in case it was anything that. I forgot about or tried to forget about the song. Well, thank you, Murph, because you said a lot of the things that I needed to say about this song. I love the beginning of it. I love the sound of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a drum guy. I love Bonham. I love dr- anything drums, but it's just, it, it it's, it does, it, it's, it's plodding. It doesn't sound great for the four, almost five minutes that it lasts. Um, I understand the influence, you know, a lot of the Middle Eastern influence and some of the vibes, but but tonality wise, it's kind of along there with Battle of Evermore. It's not pleasant sounding. It's just it gets it as the song approaches. I'm like, what is I'm like, I'm it's like nails on a chalkboard as a song kind of wraps up near the end. I just it's not something it's not enjoyable. It's just not an enjoyable experience for me. I like the way it starts. I like when it, when it circles back and you can just hear bottom just pounding away. I think that's fantastic. But the rest of the song sonically, I, I just, I'm, I've just never been a fan of it. Four sticks written by uh page and plant. Uh, this is one of, if not the worst Led Zeppelin song I've ever heard. Yeah. Song is horrible. Woo-hoo! It's terrible. It goes nowhere. The only part that I kind of enjoy a little bit is that little kind of bridge where you stop like they get out of the dun, 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 see that's dun, see i hate dun, that part dun. i hate oh, that no, part. i like the other part yeah it, it just it's it doesn't work at all it's a it's a filler track do i hate it i don't hate it but it was always my least favorite track on this album not even close and probably one of my least favorite because there aren't really songs that are bad by led zeppelin so this is just one of them. It's just not very good. Deuce, didn't they have a lot of trouble getting this song right in their opinion when getting, you know, making the album? Because yeah, I, I thought it, when they were working on this song, that other ones, you know, came up and they that's what, came up that's, with on the spot. 
that's what led to rock and roll. They were getting like exhausted working on four sticks and Bonham just came up with like the intro to rock. Cause they were just getting frustrated with trying to nail this down the way they wanted it. And that's what led to rock and roll as we, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, Cause yeah. he couldn't make it good. It, well, exactly. Cause it's not good. <laughs> so there's a version of this on the Coda remastered. Yeah. That they have, and they called it four hands. Yep. When they went to India and they started trying to perform it, it's on Coda, which also has a great section uh, with the Bombay Symphony Orchestra of Friends mm-hmm. on that. The Coda box set deluxe has a lot of great fucking obscure shit on it. You should I pick have it. that it's up. It's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's just this song. Let's see if they pick it up. All right. Uh, next track. Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink All my wine Made up my mind Make a new start Going to California with an A.K.M. In my heart Someone told me there's a girl out there with love in her eyes and flowers in her hair This song has a huge emotional connection for me. Uh, after high school, I moved to California um, for a short time, and I was getting to know this one girl that I had worked with, and you know we had a, a, a really cool connection. And here I am in in the midst of this relationship starting to grow. I'm packing my bags and I'm going to California. And the morning of my flight, she came over early in the morning with a mixtape. She's like, don't play this until the plane is taken off. I'm like, all right. So I put it in my pocket. And this is back in the day when, you know, you didn't really have to, you, know, you didn't have the security that you do now. So I put it in my pocket, put my, you know, brought my, my yellow Sony Walkman. So I get in and the plane starts taking off and I start playing and I hear going to California as the first song. And every time, I hear that song. I think of that moment. And because when I got back, um, she ended up dating someone that she, she ended up getting married to. And, um, you know, you always Aww. think of, you always think of like the time, like if I would have stayed would something would have happened, would it would have worked out would have something happened. Obviously it's the unknown, but whenever I hear this song, I, I can't help but think of that moment. It's such a, a great song, just the acoustic and, and Robert Plant and the lyrics, smoked all my stuff and drank all my wine. One of the greatest lyrics that that uh, that they've ever written, because um, I think most of us have all been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love it. Uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album. Great song. Not only... Uh, in the discussion for my favorite Zeppelin song, in the discussion for my favorite song, period. This song to me is, I think, Zeus, what 
thank you is to you. Um, I moment I heard this, it's like this song is awesome. Uh, I actually over time have become appreciative of the whole Laurel Canyon sound. You know, I, I know it goes against, uh, you know, the, the taste of others on this, uh, discussion, but Joni Mitchell blue, you know, that, that album, I understand where, uh, plant kind of had that deep appreciation and connection for. Yes, just exactly. Um, but I, I just think the, the lyrics are beautiful. The music is simple. And even last night, I was uh, just trying to explain uh, to my wife about just the use of the mandolin. And I pulled up, there's a, a clip from, I think, in the early 2000s where John Paul Jones was on a talk show. And they said, can you play something for us? And he just said, oh, maybe you'll know this tune and just played the whole thing uh, on the mandolin. It's one of those songs that even if you took out the lyrics, it still would be one of my favorite songs. Can't don't have a bad thing to say about it. Could go on for an hour about the song. What a humble genius JPJ uh, JPJ is, huh? Yep. How many fucking musicians could have done that just then, and just not be bragging about it? Just be like, oh yeah, give me this, I'll do it. Fucking awesome. If I had the ability to play the acoustic guitar that I own, which I don't, I can fiddle around with it and play some chords. If somebody said. We're going to allow you to play one song. What is it? It would be going to California unquestionably. It is to me, the greatest piece of acoustic music that's ever been recorded. It is a beautiful, wonderful, happy, emotional song. It's just, it, it, it just things like this just remind you of the, the sheer genius of this band. Um, that they can do Black Dog, that they can do Misty Mountain Hop, that they can do Stairway, and then they just do this, and it's just, God damn it, this band, like it's it it it's the harmonies, the sound, it it the melody, it's it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's timeless, and it's it's another song where there's no fatigue, like Murph said, you put it on right now, and I just I wish I wish I had the patience to learn how to play this or at least even fiddle with some of the chords and melody, because it's just a, it's a perfect acoustic song. It's wonderful. And very quickly, just how the song even begins with that uh, deep breath at the very beginning. I love it. It just pulls you in. So good. Yeah. Going to California written by page and plant. Yeah. One of the first acoustic songs that I ever liked. And obviously Zeppelin four was the first Zeppelin song that I do. So I got used to like this Zeppelin sound of just the acoustic in raw and Robert singing. Uh, it's a beautiful song. You, you, how, how the hell can you say anything but that the song is uh, just a, a lovely uh, little ditty that they came up with. And with the added part of that incredible bridge that I love, it seems that the wrath of the gods got a punch on the nose and it's starting to flow. I think I might be sinking. And then the little acoustic little guitar fill. Oh my God. You know that part. It makes your hair go up, right? It's just so beautifully done. It's a nice, well-crafted song. So it, it's one of the things that you can do with Zeppelin that it's not wimpy. It doesn't come across as wimpy. It comes across as like emo- emotionally uplifting. Um, I think Rolling Stone had it as uh, number 11 of the 40th greatest Led Zeppelin songs. There's a lot of the Joni Mitchell and her big buck teeth that Murph loves, the inspiration <laughs> for this song. 
And it's just one of those things that just adds to the lore of this album. Going to California is just one of the tracks on this album, which makes which blows your mind of all these great songs. But let's finish with the ultimate closer. I hope I don't disappoint people when I say that the drum track recorded on this incredible song was not in the stairwell at Headley Grange. Okay? <laughs> Everybody wants to say, oh, it's the echo that was in the stairwell that created the sound with Bonnie was playing. No, they used an echo module or, or whatever they used to create that drum 
sound for that song. It's why one of the reasons why the song was not played live very often was because it just didn't match what was on the album because of that echo that they had. So I hope I didn't disappoint anybody with that knowledge today, but um, that is the truth. Like Zeus said, this is the ultimate closer. It is so powerful. It is so like, man, how many minutes does it go by before the lyrics even kick in? I mean, you've got this whirlwind guitar riff with this drum beat, and you got this harmonica that sounds like a freaking freight train. Freaking just kills it. And let's, dude, that harmonica sends chills through your body. Like, it's just so like, oh my God. Like, I've never heard a harmonica played on a song like that ever, ever. And it's a, it's a, I don't know if you call it a cover or it's inspired by an old blues song from like the 1920s. Yeah. It's typical Zeppelin. They get fucking sued for stealing something and changed it. But the song was just, man, like, and again, like I said in the beginning, this was considered a deep cut back in the day, back in the eighties when we were like getting into Zeppelin and, and you know you the older kids in the neighborhood not like my older brother's age but like the kids that were like 10 years older than us you know or 12 years old 14 years older than us they had lived during zeppelin being played they were able to actually like see them possibly in concert and stuff and you know you'd sit on the front porch and you talk to them and they'd be like one of the levy breaks is, is not known by a lot of people and that's probably like one of their best songs and now it's like a staple of their catalog it's just weird how the world has evolved and music has evolved and how this song is now so prevalent on on what used to be the great platform of rock radio we all saw what happened in katrina years ago with the with the hurricane and the fact that there was a documentary made about this and this song is in that documentary you know when the levee breaks got no place to go um it's so so it's it so resonates today it's such a oh my god it's just so powerful i don't think there's a song in terms of in their catalog that has the just the power of this song like you i mean there's great songs but just the absolute punch right in the jaw it's when a levy breaks there's no doubt about it in my mind Jay, I think this song over time is going to be a deep cut uh, once again, because I don't think outside of, you know, Stairway to Heaven, I don't think people today are going to listen to an eight minute song and appreciate it because you're getting just so much delivered to you in the song. And it's it's a punch. It is a powerful song. You know, sorry to say it once more first time i heard it was like this is different and that so many artists have sampled this over the years because there's just different elements that you can take and that once again it's a blue song but it sounds nothing like their earlier stuff uh this is their drop the mic to you know even though the last song we were critical of and i think fairly so i i still will say you know just uh a a perfect album and you know, eight minutes of rock and roll perfection. 
All right. So uh, the first time I was really kind of exposed to this song in memory is the Beastie Boys rhyming and stealing. The opening track off a of license to ill. I was like, now I now that album came out in 86. So I remember by then I had already heard Zeppelin four. But the, when the levy breaks is the last song and at that age. I'm like, it's, I can't make it to the last song. I have an ADD right now or whatever. But the drums on this song are just mesmerizing. I mean, if if you're a drum guy like me, if you're a bottom guy like me and like us, I mean, this song is incredible. And Jay, you brought up a great point. It's like two minutes maybe until you hear a vocal. The solo, like what? I mean, just everything about this song. Now, it's funny because it's long. It's seven minutes. And sometimes it feels like it's not going anywhere, but I think that's the point. It's supposed to really not go anywhere. It's just long and it takes you on this journey. And when it circles back to the main rhythm and the main groove, you just like fucking Zeppelin does it again, man. Like when the levy breaks just crushes and you know, I'm old school. You guys know I have like vinyl. I have a, a, a you know an old fashioned stereo system in my living room turntables. I got four speakers. You put when the levy breaks on, the fucking neighbors can hear it, and that's how it should be played. It's just a masterful song. And then at the very end, you think the yeah, oh, I love that. The little yeah, a little weird, little extra goodbye riff. I love it, love it. When the levy breaks, written by Page Plant Jones Bonham and Memphis Mini. All right, here we go again. They almost made it with an album without any controversy. Yeah, of course. But when the levy breaks, uh, it was a song first recorded by Memphis Minnie and Kansas Joe McCoy in 1929. Yeah, Kansas the, Joe McCoy. <laughs> great Mississippi <laughs> flood of 27. When the levy breaks, Zeppelin reworked the song. Uh, <clears throat> reworked the song. <laughs> and... Um, you know, so they give credit to Memphis Mini now uh, on the album tracks. Wow. Just. It's got that thing in Kashmir does it a little bit later, too. The drumming. I, I always have this image in my head that I mean, like King Kong. That you're just hearing. Ba-dum, ba-dum, and like these trees, you can't see the beast. But some fucking impending doom is coming. And this is boom, 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 boom. And you're like, what the fuck is this? All from just Bonham's drums. And then this kind of, I don't know, hypnotizing, spooky fucking uh, harmonica just comes in. Makes me think think of New Orleans and voodoo and all this other shit. And you're thinking of a huge storm and all this... You, the the imagery that this song gives you and just boom and you think of this crazy uh atmosphere all just from the music and then the way robert sings and makes it just it's so fucking different and cool uh i love it i always get this impending doom something's coming up when the levy breaks oh shit here comes fucking problems and that break and that bridge is, uh, I mean, I, again, just like the part previous to that. Don't it make you feel when you're trying to find your way home, you don't know which way to go. If you're going down south, you got no work to do. If you're going down to Chicago, just 
and then the ah ah like <laughs> I can't explain it. And this is just one of the tracks on this fucking album. <laughs> and then you hear this is why everyone's just like, what do you say about Zeppelin 4? I just you gotta feel it. You gotta listen to it. You gotta feel it, you know? Now this another song that plant sampled in Tall Cool One. Fuck yeah, Robert yeah. Plant's solo albums. It's almost <laughs> it's almost like the harmonica is the siren in a storm. Mm. Mm, the way it's, be. It, it, there's that one low part where I, I think it's Plant who plays the harmonica during during the song. Yeah, it is Plant. Yeah, it, it is Plant. Yeah. Yep. There's that one part where the where the harmonica goes down a register, and it's like this mm, yes humming, and it's so like like the hair on your neck stands up. Like it's like, dude, like that's so fucking phenomenal. But it's like the storms coming, you know, um, when they're um, the the levee breaking because of the rain. It's like the harmonica is alerting the uh, alerting the people of of the town that they're in. It's like it's so, man. It's like like it reminds me of two. You I know Tom seen Lost, Lost, and oh, the yeah, yeah. Goes oh. off, yeah, and, yeah, and the fucking on the island. Like mm-hmm. something's happening throughout that show. You hear that siren, and you're like, holy fuck, and shit starts moving. That's when the levee breaks. That's the feeling you get. Absolutely. Perfect. Right? Wow. Only eight songs, but we're done. Final wrap-up thoughts before we rank the songs, Jay? Man, where do I begin? Um, I love doing this episode, probably more so than the three previous, and not because they weren't enjoyable as well, but this is just a, a... emotional moment in my music journey because of the songs, because of how the band captivated me and when they captivated me. Um, A perfect song on a near perfect album. Um, This is, this is the top of the mountain for rock and roll. And I know there's people that, have disdain or dismiss the songs that are overplayed, but don't penalize greatness, right? Don't, don't not appreciate the, the, the artistry, the body of work that this album is and what Led Zeppelin was. Now, I know uh, the three of you have all spoken to, you know, you had either family or uh, other influences that introduced you to uh, you know, rock and roll and, and all different types of genres. Before this album, before I became familiar with it, introduced to it, you know, I, I was more of just MTV singles. You know, just uh, you know, you might have had an artist that had multiple songs coming from the same album, but this was the band. This was the album that made me understand you know, what the concept was of creating an album and looking into other types of music so i i look at this this is the one that started it all for me um at age 14 and this you know i i'm glad we are doing this right now i know it took us seven months to get here but i've been really excited to talk about it because i I didn't realize how important this album was to me 
All right. I'm not a troll. We don't troll on this show. We never have, whether it's talking kiss or whatever. We're, we just, we're honest. Um, so I'm going to say something that might mildly be considered controversial. I think this album suffers from a few things in terms of nostalgia, history, the mysticism, the lore, the legend, where it's almost impossible, in my opinion, to live up to that. I think the image of Zeppelin four, just 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 saying the words out loud to me, saying Led Zeppelin four to me carries so much weight musically. Just saying that it conjures up an image. It conjures up a sound. But I will say this. After listening to this album and spending so much time with it, I know we've, we've listened, we've listened to it forever. I, I just don't think it's the perfect album that everybody thinks it is. I think we get our, and I'm guilty of this too. I do this with a lot of albums. I do this with love gun from kiss. A lot of people think that's like the worst of the original six albums. I think we get, I'm not comparing Love Gun to Zeppelin for me to be clear, but I think we get wrapped up in so much history and nostalgia in, in love of Zeppelin. This is a great album. It is an undeniable achievement in the history of rock. It is a foundational album, but I just don't think it's like the perfect. I sure as hell don't think it's the best Zeppelin album. That being said, I love the album. It's so hard to talk about Zeppelin without everything already being overrated because it's like talking about this album is almost like talking about like Stairway to Heaven. What can you say about the album? To me personally, it is a top heavy album. There are dead spots on this album that a lot of other or at least the previous three albums to me personally don't have. And we'll get into that when we talk about the ratings, but it's legendary. It's iconic. It's it, it's part of me and everybody else's growth period as a music lover. But I just think that sometimes we're just like Zeppelin four is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's number one on the greatest 500 albums ever. Uh, to me, I, it's just not. And and I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just giving my personal opinions about where I stand as a Zeppelin fan. Um, Zeppelin four. I'll try to leave us on a better note. Uh, no, it's I just, I hear you, dude. You have a right to your opinion. It's okay. I'm glad there's some variety on the, in this group. Uh, to me, it's just, I think it deserves all the accolades and nostalgia and, and, and praise that it gets. It is that far ahead. Yeah, there are some songs that uh, there's not eight Stairway to Heavens. Okay, right. I get it. There's not. But there's a stairway to heaven. There's a going to California. There's a when the levee breaks. There's a rock and roll. There's a black dog. I mean, it's an incredible album. When I look at it, I always try to think to myself, okay, now I'm reviewing this and I put this on the ARC list. I think like every one of our Zeppelin reviews we've done would be on top of our ARC list. That's how good Zeppelin is. That's how much better their albums are than most of the albums we reviewed. So when I want to be like, well, it's not perfect. How many fucking albums are perfect? How many albums do you like song number nine or 10 on your list are that good? They're probably shitty. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what's your nine and 10 here? So not specific on this album. There's only eight. But to me, it's it's legendary. It's got Stairway to Heaven on it. It's got a bunch of other tracks that are equally as good. So it's... uh, the quintessential album. I'm not sure if it's the introductory album you should give to fans to get into Zeppelin. 
maybe, maybe not. Maybe Zeppelin Two might be more accurate of what they do because not a lot of blues on this. I get when the levy breaks a little bit, but there is no since I've been loving you or you shook me on this or Lemming song. None of that stuff. That typical blues blues is not on this. So I think that's where this gives this album a little bit less of that hard blues and makes it more accessible to people. Hence its popularity. And and Zeus, one of the things uh, just, you know, for, for a song, an album like this, you know, three of us had some pretty harsh words about four sticks, but even a song like that, like bottom's awesome on it. (laughs) You know, so even, even the songs that we're critical of, we're still finding nuggets that it's why we like this band. That's why we're doing this. It's not even hats on for Roy Harper. Who might've fucking talked. (laughs) It's not even my favorite album by Zeppelin. Um, I also think, you know, when, 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 when Tom just spoke, um, there's some validity to that. However, I think when you listen to Led Zeppelin four for the first time, you hear greatness. When you yes. hear Led Zeppelin three, that greatness grows mm-hmm. years, right? Mm-hmm. So the point is, is that Led Zeppelin four, you have more time to pick it apart and find what you don't like because it's such a powerful album. Whereas Led Zeppelin three is like, yeah, I like that's the way. Yeah, I like Tangerine. I like Celebration Day. When you were maybe dismissive of it when you were younger, and a lot of times because of the thought police told you, oh, it's not that great of an album so i think as you get older there's a lot more newness in terms of the feel to it of you appreciating it and of course led zeppelin too like zeus said you know it, it's a that's probably the better introductory album for a led zeppelin newbie or someone that wants to hear zeppelin for the first time because it's got really their their backbone sound that really kind of how they made their mark and that heavy blues with a whole lot of love and heartbreaker and whatnot but yeah, I think like with anything that's great over time, you try to find out or you try to find what's not great about it. Whereas Led Zeppelin three, you it's almost like Led Zeppelin three, even though it was released before Led Zeppelin four, there's a sense of like newness, like, Oh my God, this is like a new experience for me. And of course you're going to be, excited and enjoy it more because it's like man you're finding things that maybe you didn't hear the first time which makes the album so much better all valid points all right let's get to the song rankings eight tracks let's go with the same order jay what is song number eight song number eight for me is four sticks song number eight for me four sticks song number eight for me is battle of evermore killed and almost perfect fucking uh number eight yeah it is not even close it's four sticks jay number seven battle of evermore number seven battle of evermore (laughs) here it comes i I screwed this up sorry guys number seven (laughs) is four sticks (laughs) number seven is battle of evermore for me all right this is where it's going to start to get a little bit interesting Let's go to song number yes. six. I'm going to go with Black Dog. <gasps> oh, my heart hurts. Number six, when the levee breaks. Oh, my heart hurts. <laughs> uh, number six, rock and roll. 
Number six, Mr. Mr. Misty Mountain Hop. That means everybody has a different number six. Right? Interesting. Yes. Yes. So I told you it was going to start getting interesting. Here we go. Yep. Number five for me is Misty Mountain Hop. Number five for me, rock and roll. Number five for me is also Misty Mountain Hop. Number five for me is now Black Dog. Number four for me is rock and roll. Number four, Misty Mountain Hop. Four for me is going to California. I did all that, Tom, going to California, number four. Okay. My number three is going to California. Number three, Black Dog. My number three is when the levee breaks. Tom, I'm with you again. When the levee breaks, number three. Okay. Number two for me is when the levee breaks. Number two, Stairway to Heaven. Of course, Murph ruins it. Or maybe not. Uh, Number two for me is Black Dog. Uh, Number two for me is Rock and Roll. All right, Jay. Number one. Song that needs no introduction, Stairway to Heaven. Unless it's me, number one, going to California. Yep, Murph ruined it. Stairway to Heaven, number one. Stairway to Heaven. Yep. So I have it as Stairway is number one, going to California two, when the levee breaks three, and Black Dog is four. Nice. Okay. I cannot believe rock and roll is not in the top four. I'm glad it shouldn't be. Fuck. Fuck. All right. Now we're going to go rank the album cover. Yes. Album cover. Jay, uh, why don't you tell everybody how you ranked them originally? Uh, well, right now I've got Led Zeppelin 2, Led Zeppelin 1, and then Led Zeppelin 3. As number three, Zeppelin 3 is three. So where are yep. you putting Zeppelin for? It's the hard one. Um, I love the Brown bom- Bomber uh, cover, Led Zeppelin 2. I love the mystery surrounding Led Zeppelin 4. I'm going to put, keep Led Zeppelin 2 as number one, Led Zeppelin 4 at number two, Led Zeppelin 1 at number three, and Led Zeppelin 3 at number four. All right, Murph. Okay. All right, so I have... Uh, Led Zeppelin 1, the number one slot, Led Zeppelin 3 in the number two slot, and then Led Zeppelin 2 coming in at number three. Uh, as iconic, to use Tommy's line, as this album cover is, it it doesn't do anything for me, so this, this goes in at number four. Tom? Uh, so right now at number three, I got Zeppelin 2. Number two is the debut album, and then my number one album cover ranking is Led Zeppelin III. I'm going to agree with Murph. It's legendary, it's iconic, it's classic, but it just doesn't do much, so I'm going to put it at fourth. I'm with you guys. They're all iconic. They're Zeppelin covers. Yep. But which Zeppelin cover moves me more? That's the difference. So uh, I have Zeppelin three number one, Zeppelin one at two, Zeppelin two at three, and this is going in number four. Now we do album rankings. Jay, you lead us off. Want to tell everybody where your rankings are so far? 
I, I've been dreading this album ranking since I knew we were going to record this uh, this episode. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I, I revisited and listened to Led Zeppelin Four for the first time all the way through in a, in a long time. And I've listened to the individual songs and hear it, you know, throughout the last decade, but I haven't listened to Led Zeppelin Four all the way through. It's got to be ten years around 10 years. So listening to it to prepare for this episode, even though I probably really didn't, but I just wanted to kind of get the sequencing and the feel of the album uh, and, and learn that again. Um, if I have to rank number one, it's Let's Up on Four. Wow. All right. All right. For me, uh, right now, I have uh, Led Zeppelin 3, followed by Led Zeppelin 2, followed by Led Zeppelin 1. Jay, same boat as you. Uh, I would say over the last five to ten years, Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin 3 has, uh, you know, that that is a, an album I've fallen in love with because I think as, you know, we change, it, you know, my music tastes have changed. I definitely have become more interested in the late 60s, early 70s acoustic folk rock, which, you know, I, I just resonate with me listening to Led Zeppelin 3. But as I've said all along, without Led Zeppelin 4, I don't get introduced to, you know, music. Um, it just, it came to me at a time where it, it had a incredible influence. Listening to this brought me back and it, it has to be same for me. Led Zeppelin 4 goes to the top slot. All right. For me, I have, Led Zeppelin three, actually my rankings are in order that they came out. Number one is one. Number two is two. Number three is three. Um, a couple things are kind of penalizing here for me with Zeppelin four. First of all, there's only eight songs so far. It's the shortest of the four albums we reviewed. And there's just a handful of songs on here. I, I just, I don't go to, I just don't listen to. And I mean, I feel like this is like un-American and, do you like Zeppelin? I, I just, I just gotta, I gotta go with my heart. I gotta go with what I am as a music fan. And I, I just, I love the songs that I love, but Zeppelin four is going to go last for me. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh my wow. God. <laughs> oh, but again, but, but again, but again, like Zeus says all the time, the fourth ranked Led Zeppelin album is still like the greatest album yeah. by any other band. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like not that I don't, it, it's not that I don't love this album. It's just like if, if I break it down with cold, hard facts here, there's eight songs, three of them of which I don't prefer. So you're talking almost half the album. I don't really want to go to. And the other albums, I think, just give me more of a Zeppelin picture for me. I know this has Stairway to Heaven, but I'm, I don't know. That's that's just how I am. All right. For me, I have Zeppelin three, number one, Zeppelin two, two, Zeppelin one, three. It's not better than Zeppelin three for me. It's just not. So I'm like, is it better than Zeppelin two? If I do album clash type head to head, Zeppelin two would win. But the better songs other than thank you are on Zeppelin four. So, and I don't like instrumental. So Moby Dick and four sticks can cross themselves off. So for me, I'm taking Zeppelin four as number two for me. So it's slightly ahead of Zeppelin two. 
Zeppelin three is slightly ahead of my last pick. Zeppelin one. They're all fucking great. Oh, that's the thing. That's the thing. There's like, there's, there's hairline like difference for me. Exactly. But I mean, my first and fourth albums, I mean, for Christ's sake, we're ranking the first four Zeppelin albums. There's like fractions that separate each ranking. I keep saying I'm going on my trip. What album am I taking? I'm taking Zeppelin uh, three. If I can only take one Zeppelin. So, okay. All right. Next, we go to this. Thank you very much. I'd like to introduce Led Zeppelin to you. On bass guitar, John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. On drums, John Bonham. Guitar Jimmy Page. And myself, Robert Plant. Jay, what do you got in your bootleg spotlight? We go to Osaka, Japan in 1971. This is kind of a Odd time for Zeppelin in terms of touring because Zeppelin 4 came out at the end of the year 1971. And when they toured in 1972, a lot of the shows included songs from their next album, Houses of the Holy. So, and they did that a lot. You know, Zeppelin was kind of known for previewing songs that, um, that they hadn't released yet live. You know, they've done that throughout their whole throughout their whole career. But what I like about Osaka, the show in Osaka, which was in September of 1971, uh, a couple months or about a month and a half before the release of Love's Up and Four, is you really get a good kind of overview of their first four albums uh, and a clean sound. Like this is one of the best recorded bootlegs at that time and you know that was recorded in the late 60s early 70s when they were touring this has got such an incredible sound to it it opens up with immigrant song and and in in my opinion it's probably the best live version of immigrant song on boot on the bootleg platform um they go into heartbreaker since i've been loving you sounds great uh black dog which is the first song they play from leds up and four uh dazed and confused it has a almost 40 minute version of days. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, just a <laughs> tremendous, uh, it, 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 and it flies by if that's even possible. Um, they do go into stairway to heaven on after days and confused. However, on this bootleg, for whatever reason, the song is cut. It's only about four, the, the four minutes and it takes, kind of after the solo or, or or before the solo on. And the reason why I still enjoy listening to it, because in my opinion, it's probably the best Led Zeppelin stairway to heaven solo that page is done recorded. It's nice. so clean and it's so good. It's just, it's masterful. Um, they do go into celebration day, which was on Led Zeppelin three um that's then they did like their acoustic set 
which um, they started to really kind of grow into in 1972 and, and, and so on, where they did, I think, four to five songs acoustically. But they did That's the Way, Tangerine and Friends. And they did a cover of Smoke Gets in Your Eye after Friends into What Is and What Should Never Be, Moby Dick the Solo. And then another 35-minute version of Whole Lot of Love. She has an incredible medley in there. Um, then they go into communication breakdown. They do an organ solo into thank you. And then they end the show with rock and roll. So there was a few choices to go with. A lot of stuff was earlier in the year, which was more Led Zeppelin three heavy. Um, but they really didn't start. I mean, they barely ever did when the levy breaks. I think they only did blend the levy breaks less than a handful of times and one of the reasons why they did win the levy breaks i think they did it the first time at in at chicago stadium was because jimmy page had broke his hand and it's one of the songs that he could play because of that there was a couple songs on the set that he couldn't just because of his hand but there is a version of when the levy breaks that was recorded during a sound check in 1971 or 72 that was released about maybe a year ago a little over a year ago that was just unearthed that had never been heard before and that is actually incredible and they also on that same uh sound check they recorded the wonton song which they never did live you know know, or during that period so um yeah there's some really cool uh stuff out there but there really wasn't too much in in way of 1972 and 71 with um a lot of um live stuff the only songs that they really incorporated from led's up and four later on was going to california and um misty mountain hop but you know black dog rock and roll stairway to heaven were staples um and then going to california misty mountain hop were added i don't believe that they played four sticks very often i don't think they ever did battle of evermore um i'm trying and i know for you know they they, did a very limited uh run of of when the levy breaks so um but it's a great bootleg it's 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 a really clean good sounding show and like i said the solo that page plays on this on this bootleg of stairway to heaven is probably one of the best if not the best solos he's done live and jay is this this is this september 29th 1971 yes yeah okay nice yeah, yeah, I'm look. I'm looking online right now. Um, there's bootlegs available. One of them is called Live in Osaka. There's another one that it's called Festival Hall. According to the official Led Zeppelin website, it's September 29th, 1971, Osaka, Japan Festival Hall. That's what they call it. Yeah, like a lot of like a lot of bootlegs, you're gonna find different different names depending on who puts it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um. The September 29th show is 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 the best. I think there's a couple songs on there that are taken from the 28th show because they played two nights, but the majority, the the, the probably 95% of the show is from September 29th. But as always, as I always talk and mention, when you go and buy a bootleg, I'm sure you'll be okay with this, but always listen first before you buy because if you can, if you can, you could get a crap version yeah. of a bootleg and that's no fun. 
Yeah, Zeus, this this double CD is available on eBay for nineteen ninety five, which actually is a pretty good price for for a, for, you, for for. All right, Jake, can you tell people where they can find you? Thanks, Zeus. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Murph, for doing the Zeppelin Chronicles ten years after Led Zeppelin three. We I appreciate it. Um, I myself have become a grandfather over uh, the last <laughs> uh, ten years, and uh, Zeus been actually living in Greece. Um, yes. Sir. Yes, sir. And, and what's that? Zeus Zeus now looks like the guy on the cover of Zeppelin Four. That's how long it's taken <laughs> us to get to this episode. Yes. Tom uh, got a hair transplant and exactly, yeah. Yep. And Murph, I don't know what happened, man, but you really let yourself go. Um, get on a diet plan. You need you need to you need to start uh, stop drinking those uh, chocolate shakes. But as uh, as you people can find me, we just celebrated our four year anniversary with Congrats, buddy. We celebrated our 500th episode with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Um, nice. Man, it's been it's been four years I've been doing this and uh, just love it and enjoy it like I did the first time I, I've done it. Um, but you can find me at The Hook Rocks on all podcast platforms. You can subscribe, follow, like, whatever. Um, I always appreciate reviews, so please write a five-star review. If you can, but um, enjoying this, we've got some good stuff coming up too as well. We're on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, really the big three. Search us up at The Hook Rocks. And we're also on threads now too, which we're still trying to figure out how that whole thing works, but we'll get it going. But yeah, you can find us um, at all those locations. Enjoy the episode. There's over 500 now, so... Thanks again for the opportunity to do this Zeppelin Chronicles. Love it. Even though you get my ass up early in the morning on a Sunday. Bullshit. You, you need it. Murph, are you alive over there? What do you do these days? I'll just uh, jump on a podcast with you gents every seven, eight months. And uh, the time in between uh, listening to everything you drop. So always enjoy listening to your interviews, entertainment. Keep it up. Uh, going on vacation in a week. So hopefully there'll be a couple more dropping uh, between now and then that I can take with me. And uh, as I sit on the beach and stare into uh, nothingness. Tom, what about us? Are we around? We're around. Uh, go to our, go to him. Go to him. <laughs> <laughs> our website, shout it out loudcast.com. That's where you can find everything. If this is your first time hearing our show, uh, we are usually an all kiss podcast that drop kiss related episodes every Saturday. We do album review crew episodes once a month. We do dorm damage episodes. Where we talk about pop culture, music, movies, etc. We do those usually once a week. And Zeppelin Chronicles comes out. Usually we time this with <laughs> Haley's Comet. Uh, uh, so this will come out, uh, you know, who knows when. But visit our website, shoutoutloudcast.com for all the information about us. And of course, follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and now threads as well. And our email at shoutoutloudcast.com at gmail.com please comment tell us what you think of zeppelin 4 am i wrong should it be higher like these guys think or what i don't know we'll know but uh anyways love you guys doing this show this is amazing uh nobody else i'd rather be spending time with talking about zeppelin so jay murph zeus is always awesome stuff yeah so uh tom tell people our, our website shout out loudcast.com shout out loudcast.com make sure you look at the zeppelin chronicles uh page you can click on that see where we rank these albums see where we rank all the songs and please put your comments on the website those comments stay so unlike the uh 
social media posts where they, you know, through time get pushed, pushed further down. The comments on the website will always remain and we'd love to hear from you guys. So please let's do that. But before we move forward, we always end with famous last words. Let's start with Jay. Do you have any? Uh, This song features my hometown, Chicago. So uh, of course I'm going to go with when the levee breaks, but that's not the lyric that um, I'm going to choose. I think the heaviest, most impactful lyric in this song is one sentence that's repeated. And that is crying won't help you. Praying won't do you no good. And I think that signifies the alarm, the, the tragedy, the, as Zeus would say, something bad is happening. I think that Ending line. Doom. Yes. I think that line is just so like powerful and yes. Agreed. It's awesome. I think that's the, that's the lyric that I'm going to go with. Murph. For me, find a queen without a king. They say she plays guitar and cries and sings. La, 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 la. How's that last, Parco? La, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, it sounds just like plant. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like he's in the room with us. <laughs> Murph, karaoke, Wednesday nights. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. Or if you got to just go with it, people shit on the way I sing. I sing. I don't care. I'm on the show. We have a, we have a rule in the Murphy house. No singing allowed. It it is clear that there is no talent on that side. So that is a rule. I can understand why. Yes. You're a ball buster. Murph. (laughs) All right. I didn't notice, but it had got very dark and I was really, really out of my mind. Just then. A policeman stepped up to me and asked us, said, please, hey, would we care to all get in line? Get in line. All right. Well, I'm going to end it with what else? Again, no other song will ever be as big as we've ever had it on this show. So I'll start with the opening lines from this. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold and she's buying a highway to hell. Jay, Murph, Tom, Loudcasters, Kiss Army, Zeptards, thank you. Long overdue, guys. Great to catch up. Look forward to seeing you hopefully sometime again in 2023. Doubt it, but hopefully as well. Guys, great time. Love talking Zeppelin, uh, especially when it's an overrated album like Zeppelin 4. <laughs> Sorry. Love you guys. Till next time. Peace out. Girl Scout.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 